Frostbite, welcome back, everybody. Hope everyone doing well tonight. It's cold, cold Hi, January. Mom, I'm on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> <laughs> Being average as usual. Um, so uh, for those who had missed our first inaugural episode, uh, we are the totally average gamers. Uh, we are here to be average. Uh, that's basically all we're good at. Uh, we play games averagely, we talk averagely, and we have opinions we're that actually, you don't care about. Excuse me, we're, we're not actually, good at being average. We're yeah, average we're pretty average. average. <laughs> my, my apologies, I misspoke. Um, if you did miss our first uh, our first episode of our podcast, it is now live on Anchor and on YouTube. You can get the links to those socials uh, just below this stream right here. Um, or we could post them in chat later. But please do, uh, go ahead and check that out. You missed a really good episode where we talked lots and lots about video game music, and you got to see all of ABC Cincinnati's opinions uh, well i was gonna say your massive <laughs> stack of cds that nobody uh, it, has it, anymore it, 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 it's growing it's growing it's it, it's growing i ordered more of them the other day oh yeah you said you got sh uh shovel knight or something yeah uh so just a i guess a, a quick one note about that i had been meaning to pick up the the cds for like the various expansions to shovel knight and uh it turns out it, i think i got the first one off of fan gamer but then the other ones we're all being sold by limited run. And um, so I picked them up because it was like 10 bucks a piece for each of the soundtracks. Um, the only person buying CDs in 2021 right here. Uh, you know, <laughs> there, there, there's still a market for it. It's just. Yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the market for it. <laughs> it's just much more limited. No, that's not uh, true. My um, my uh, 62 year old. <laughs> still buy cds too so oh man well uh moving on from the whole music discussion that was last that was a couple weeks ago uh we thought we would kick it off we, we you know we ended our last show off with uh talking about all the games that we were playing um there was opinions on some of those some a lot of overlap we thought we'd give you a small update on the games that we're struggling through um this one's fun because all of us last time had a little bit of Final Fantasy VII going on. Um, ABC was playing... Yeah, that's a funny coincidence. A ABC is playing the original Final Fantasy VII. I, too, is playing the original Final Fantasy VII, as well as the remake, and Frostbite was just playing the remake, so we're all kind of overlapping there. Um, <laughs> progress. I actually finished the original Final Fantasy VII. It is the first Final Fantasy game I have ever completed, um, and it's also the first game I've actually finished through to completion in a long time, so that's a, that's a pretty big win for me. Um, ABC is still struggling. It. Wait, let me no, give you a little victory. We'll get to that. It's okay. That's it. That's it right there. Um, <laughs> my favorite part of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I'm still also playing, um, is that they don't really have that theme in there, but at one point in the game, Barrett just starts humming it. <laughs> I took a clip of that on my uh, PS5. That's, it's, I thought it, that was hilarious. I thought that was quite amazing. Um, yeah. Anyway, I've moved on from Final Fantasy VII Original, and I've now moved on to Final Fantasy X. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so we're, we've now started that one. Um, 
I'm that's actually the main game I'm playing at the moment. I've kind of taken a step back and reevaluating some of the other games I had been playing. Um, still doing a lot of the Legend of Zelda stuff on stream, um, but I'm kind of mostly in Final Fantasy mode right now, which is weird for me. unlike you. Very unlike you. Very unlike me. I I know I'm like two decades, three decades late to the party on this franchise, but here we are. I'm I'm playing Final Fantasy, <laughs> so. That's that's as much as I can say right now. It's since we spoke two weeks ago, that's as far as that's really what I played is Final Fantasy. Lots of Final Fantasy. So let's kick it on over to ABC because you, know, you are uh, struggling with Final Fantasy. Well, uh, struggling is the wrong word, but yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm slowly working my way through that game. Um, I've been playing it once a week on streams, and unlike previous JRPG streams, I've been actively not playing ahead so that people can watch from the start and catch everything. Um, so Caburn's jumped in on my stream on Monday uh, and helped me through a large section of, of the game. Uh, are we allowed to talk spoilers for that game? It's a 20 something year old game. Although cool. Then just a, 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 a preview slash <laughs> spoiler tune in on Monday to watch Aerith die 20 minutes into the stream. Um, because I, I stopped playing on Monday right before the end of disc one it, um, it, it's a spoiler so it'll literally be start the game boss fight Aerith dies switch discs so it's a spoiler <laughs> but it's a spoiler for a game that was made 24 years yeah. ago i think the uh, yeah. moratorium on that one's run up uh, all right good good uh so so tune in for that but uh i've been pretty much the only games that i've been playing consistently daily have been um have been Mario's Super Picross on uh, Nintendo Switch Online, SNES Online, whatever they call that that platform, um, which I've been I'm getting very close to the end of that game. Um, okay, we're done talking about Final Fantasy Seven, right? Yeah, we're we're done talking about Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> and uh, and I've been playing, still getting my like daily twenty to thirty minutes of Animal Crossing in, uh, which is good because they announced a bunch of stuff in the last few days uh coming to that game um and then you know between final fantasy earthbound and dragon quest 7 i am you know finding time here and there to play each of those games but uh once i'm done with at least one of them i am not adding any more jrpgs back into my rotation for a while i am very quickly getting burnt out running three consecutive or concurrent rpgs that are not at all the same so um, burning out on rpgs over there i'm picking up more rpgs over here uh prospect what are you playing right now um yeah so i i mean like you said i'm also playing the final fantasy 7 remake i have never played the original game uh so this is all new for me uh i mean i think i've heard some spoilers over the years as you said it's a pretty old game at this point but I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it as uh fresh as possible, you know, uh for myself. Well the fun thing but is I'm... any of the spoilers that you know we might have discussed probably aren't happening in that game that you're playing anyway. Yeah. Yep. All the more reason to that I don't want to hear it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it'll it'll take square like three years for you to get to the yeah next yeah. To, to the next part of that game. And even then, I don't think that they can possibly get to the end of PS1 disc one with another 
with 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 remake part two no idea because i'm like i'm like 20 28 30 hours into the into ff7 and i'm only just getting to the end of disc one and midgar was four hours of that so i think i'm like uh 24 hours (laughs) i just passed a day playtime in in the remake i'm in chapter 12 i believe yeah that's about where i am yeah yeah it's It's, uh, they basically took five hours of original game and blew it up into 30 hours or something like that yeah pretty much it's like um it's like a cloud cloud strife friend zone simulator if it makes you feel better that's what the original is like too (laughs) no 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 that's not that's not true he's he doesn't talk anywhere near as much in the original. That's true. He's okay. just like he's half the time that you get speaking options in the original FF7. It's like you know answers the question or I don't want to talk about this, and then just awkward silence. Yeah. No, no, that's the remake too, though. Oh, is yeah. it? Yeah, he's like I don't want to talk about this, or he's kind <laughs> of pretty grunts. funny. It's pretty funny actually. I, oh. I love how like all the other characters sort of like make fun of it a little bit. Yeah, they definitely roll their eyes at Cloud. <clears throat> Pretty good. Um, but other than that, uh, what else am I playing? Um, uh, I just picked I picked up Cyber Shadow, which came out yesterday. Played that on stream a couple hours last night. Hey, I, saw, I saw you play a little bit of that. How is that? Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I think there's an obvious comparison to make with uh, The Messenger because, you know, that's the the other indie ninja Gaiden clone <laughs> that came out recently um uh there were some things i did not like about the messenger that cyber shadow does a lot better um particularly like not 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 really completely sticking to the uh, the sort of true pixel art representation um doing stuff with like rotating or or scaling pixels and stuff like that that always really bugs me in those games that's probably just my own uh did did the messenger speaking, strictly but... stick to those no no uh cyber shadow oh, cyber shadow stuff. Does. but okay the messenger did not like there were a couple boss fights where they would like zoom out and now all of a sudden your 240p has become 400p or something when it's for it to me is probably. like a little bit jarring because it doesn't really make sense in the yeah. whole if you're trying to convince me that it's like a retro 8-bit game, I don't know. That's it's definitely like retro. Well, I mean, with, with I, I mean, uh, Shuffle Knight did did similar things, right? Like they had parallax scrolling, which just isn't wasn't a thing on the NES, even though the the game looks like it's. Yeah, but they but they didn't like I call it pixel cheating. They didn't they didn't pixel cheat. Like it was still one pixel is one pixel. Okay, that, fair enough. That scale never changes. Pixels don't turn or rotate on your screen. Like that, that one yeah, is that's, like, that's the weirdest. Ugh, I hate that. Yep. The messenger did stuff like that. And then the messenger, I also felt like just didn't really take itself seriously enough. There was, it was very like, haha, we're just an indie game. Video games are silly. Is like, I don't know for like a Ninja Gaiden thing like that. I feel like that, that doesn't really, that, that that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so cyber shadow, um, in that way, like, gets those things does those things better in my opinion but there there were some like kind of it has issues with uh this sort of like 
pacing of the difficulty, I think. There are a lot of parts in, the, in it so far where I was just, like, breezing right through, like, total autopilot, like, yeah, super easy mode. And then all of a sudden you walk through a door and it's, like, crazy hard. And it's like, whoa, what, oh, I, what happened? I clipped something on your stream the other night where <laughs> I, I think the, the game indicated to you that you had, like, switched on a laser. But you didn't stick around on the screen long enough to notice it. And so you walk through a door and immediately <laughs> jump immediately into the laser. Blasted. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and it was just like dead. Yeah. No warning, just dead. Watch out for that yeah. laser. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's, there's a bunch of like instant kill stuff like that. Sorry, my cat is taking the camera. Um, that happens. Anyway. Yeah. So Cyber Shadow, uh, what else am I playing? I mean, oh, I've been playing Sea of Thieves. Um, with some friends online, which is a good time. Okay. I, I picked up the Game Pass for a dollar yep. for three months, and uh, we've been playing that. I went down the Sea of Thieves route a few months ago with uh, some people from another Discord channel, yeah. and I got very quickly bored of Sea of Thieves, to be honest. It does get a little bit samey, I will admit. Yeah, there, there is something endearing, though, about being a swashbuckler pirate. It, I mean, it, as far as yeah, pirates but, but I, go, I, it's really I think my problem on. is I don't want to do that with other people. You gotta have a crew. <laughs> yeah, but they that's just, what single single player pirate games are for. They um, they also just announced that they're doing they're adding uh, seasons to the game, like a um, a, what do you call it? Like a battle pass sort of season thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like a lot that of the, might help. A, a lot of mobas do that. And... Yeah, yeah. It keeps the games going for a long time, and see if thieves. Yeah, whatever we think about it, it's very popular. It's got, and it's fairly family friendly too. So it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, as far as pirates go, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably going to be Rare's sole output for like the next however many years. Mm -hmm. They've got another game. Because, they have another game in development. Uh, yeah, some. they do. Don't don't they? Yeah. What what was that game? Was it's not Kena. It's the other the other one about. Being in the wilderness ever or something magic. Yeah. I, you know I, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, right. I, I remember seeing the trailer for it, but I haven't. I, I, you know, but it, it, actually, it's one of those things where it just takes up so many so much of their resources that um you won't get to see them pumping out new releases as regularly as they used to. Uh but what I mean they've they haven't been the rare we grew up with for for a long time. No, <laughs> like, no, but they they assisted in a lot of uh IP renewals uh, in the last generation. Oh, that's that's true. But I, I like it. Might not be the rare we grew up with, but like I said, Sea of Thieves has quite a community. So I don't want to knock it. Um, might not be for me. I'm glad people have fun with it. To each their own. Yeah. Fair enough. Are they? Is Rare doing the Perfect Dark reboot? They mm, are. They're not. They're not the developers. Okay. And they they were not the developers, if I remember correctly, for the Killer Instinct reboot, or the uh, or the um, fuck what was the other one, Battletoads, where like they they've been they were hinted at being involved in each of these games briefly, and then were confirmed to not be at all linked to them. Um, I'll see if I can find something about that and post it on the Discord, but. Um, pretty much like if there was a 90s early aughts revival uh, they were always linked to it first and you know yeah 
the, the they aren't that studio anymore. Oh, we got bots. Yeah, we got bots. Band. Oh, you got you got the first. I was looking for the, the band <laughs> button. Oh, well, lots of games that we're currently playing. Um, you know, if you ever want to play anything with us, by all means, guys, join the Discord. We like to play with other people too. So, um, maybe not see if thieves, but definitely open to multiplayer experiences. Uh, but that I thought we'd segue on a little bit. Uh, lots of uh, interesting news been happening in the gaming world the past. A uh, week and a half or so, um, you know, games, game, uh, stop, uh, stocks notwithstanding, that's a, that's that's a whole thing. But <laughs> yeah, what um, it, what's the deal? What is it? I saw I, that I, headline. I, I, I can give you the very yeah the TLDR. I don't want to get too into it because I don't know how much I understand about investment banking. But basically, a whole bunch of Reddit people decided that they wanted to stick it to big name investors, and so they basically artificially pumped the value of GameStop stock they 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 shorted the stock yeah um they they intentionally built it up investment bankers were like we're getting in on this and then they all sold their stock it's basically exactly what happened they basically tried to screw over the bigwigs is that even legal (laughs) that's actually that's the question right now it's not a matter of is it legal on itself it's is there something nefarious behind it and answer is yes the fcc is probably investigating it yeah i don't want to get too into that right now um yeah, the leg- the legality is kind of murky because there's no insider trading there, right? They didn't, they they didn't. I suppose so. Have knowledge of like a growing stock that they that they then invested in. They actively took a shitty stock and all pumped into it all at once. What what they fear might have happened is that somebody was prompting it from the shadows and mm. was the trigger to try and basically make a profit, and that is illegal. So yeah. right, of course. So that's what I'm saying. Let's leave it to the government to figure that one out. Um, my my favorite bit of news this week was Xbox. Um, I, I have been, you know, people who know me, they they know that I'm actually a huge proponent of Microsoft in the past few years. Not just in the Xbox division. Um, a company I used to really not like so much. I feel like has really tried to listen to their consumers a lot over the past few years. Um, you know, speaking as a software engineer, they've done a lot of good stuff there as well. Um, really bought into the open source community. And when it comes to gaming and Xbox, they've decided that we care about players and not about ourselves as much. And I think they've probably taken a financial hit for it. But that's why I always push Game, uh, game Pass. It's like this amazing value. But this, this week... We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> this week was, in, in an effort to try and drive people towards Game Pass, that's exactly what this was, they basically doubled the price of the stock xbox live gold membership uh it effectively doubled it the uproar wow. was insane like i've never seen so many people turn on microsoft so fast because like i said all the stuff i've been saying people like that too to their credit to xbox's credit within a day they reversed the decision so the i, I guess the context that a lot of people lack when when they hear about this is that the the pricing between Xbox Live Gold and PS Plus for a year is at about parity. It's about ten bucks a difference. It depends on the region, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's at about parity. Like it's it's pretty close. Um, the change proposed would have put the price of PS Plus at twelve months equal to the price of of Xbox Live Gold for six months. Yeah. Exactly, the, the whole double. Yeah. Yeah. 
it would have been it would have been double the price of PS Plus. No. Which which at at the time of of their announcement, um, you know, both PS Plus and Games with Gold provide you free games every month. Um but the the value was especially with the the uh PS Plus collection that exists for PS5 owners, the value is clearly higher for for PlayStation uh consumers which really also did not help the the, the standpoint for uh, well, Microsoft here. The value is higher oh. if you have a, if you can get a PS5 which you know. <laughs> but but the the assumption yeah. is that if their pricing <clears throat> structure doesn't change then then it would be the equivalent of having something like Game Pass built in, caked into uh, Xbox Live Gold. So this was what the problem was. It wasn't the competition. It was the fact that by raising the price of Xbox Live Gold, the difference in price between Gold and Ultimate for a year was like nothing. The idea was yep. to push people towards Game Pass, and not everybody right. wants Game Pass. I couldn't, I can't offer the life me figure out why, but not everybody wants Game I Pass. Um, <laughs> you know, I not everyone wants Game Pass. So that's what kind of pissed people off. Um, like I said, I thought this was interesting because to their credit, they reversed it very fast. And I'm going to keep going on Good Guy Microsoft for a while. Yeah, I'm going to ride that train. I, I didn't, it, I saw like, again, I saw the headlines about it um, and was, was kind of just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I didn't really read super into it. But the fact that they, um, the fact they reversed it so quickly is a little bit sus. <laughs> I guess you could, like it almost makes me think that they did that on like they were purposely like hey let's feel this out and, and we're prepared to pull back on it if it goes, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. for them to be able to ready. get that done so quickly i don't know it's kind yeah. of weird. It, it, i guess time will tell on that one uh what are the headlines that you guys seen this week uh so i've got a fun one i i don't know if you had if you've been following uh, Nintendo's Twitter at all over the last few few weeks, uh, they've had this challenge going on for Super Mario 35 because, of course, that game is only technically available until March of this year. Um, for whatever and reason. For whatever reason. And uh, so something they had, I think it was like, they wanted players to defeat a total of 3.5 million Bowsers. Which sounds that sentence like a lot. sounds ridiculous. I'm just gonna throw that out there. That sentence oh, sounds on. ridiculous. So, so you know, three point five. Uh, they're they're alluding to the thirty five. Whatever. Uh, the the challenge ended today. Players defeated a total of five million three hundred and sixty three thousand six hundred and ninety six Bowsers. That's a lot of Bowsers. And as a reward, everyone got three hundred fifty My Nintendo Platinum points. So. Uh, I I believe that's total across the entire playtime of Mario 35. I don't think it was within a certain time range. Um, so check your accounts. You probably, if you played uh, Mario 35 at least once, you probably have earned some free platinum points. But yeah, that that number is just crazy to me. Like, first of all, how, how many people are still playing Mario 35 that frequently that they hit that number? But also, like Apparently that's an in, that's an incredible number of enemy kills. Like I, said, that's a lot I don't of know, answers. like if it, I mean, you gotta you divide it by thirty five. Like you, you got thirty five people playing. Um, if there's if everyone defeats 
one Bowser, that's 35 Bowsers per game already. And I don't know about you guys, but when I played that, I was I probably defeated several Bowsers in any given run. So yeah, and one game lasts what ten minutes maybe. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see it. Still a lot of Bowser. Mind you, there are. I mean, probably a lot of players would have dropped out before even reaching a Bowser, but still, it's and like probably many played probably didn't play long enough with the game to even see a bowser and of course Maybe. we're not even counting the fact that the game's only available to people who have nintendo switch online right yeah so they, they're already limiting their their available player pool um but i thought yeah that's like a we're not going to hear about this game again probably after march so cool little piece of news about it actually i'm glad you brought that game up because it reminded me that i wanted <clears throat> to talk to you guys about um the whole 35th anniversary thing um with that, with the Mario 35 stuff coming to an end, do you think we're going to see a similar Zelda 35 celebration we in will 2021? See, we will see something. Um, you know, if you go back to the last couple anniversaries that we've had, 3025 for Mario, we always had something Zelda. But I also generally think that Nintendo does not give Zelda the same view that they give Mario. So people are already talking about, oh, we're going to see that same Zelda collection. You're going to see the Zelda All-Stars with, you know, 3D All-Stars. You're going to get Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, Wind Waker, Skyward Sword remasters. You're not going to see that. You are going to see none of that. You might see a couple, you might see Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask drop as individual titles on eShop. That's as, because Nintendo's going to milk them if they do it. You, you know, you might see a couple of things. <clears throat> they might try and bring the HD remakes that they did on Wii U over. Yeah, it's it's it's. I tough. think they'll I, mean, I think they'll do that. There's some things that they actually have to redo, um, especially from Wind Waker HD if they do it uh, because like, of the uh, extra screen. Well, it's the Miiverse functionality. The Miiverse stuff. Uh, Twilight yeah. Princess has it too with the stamps. Yeah. Uh, apparently, so the Mario 3D World, three 3D World has stamps as well. The stamps. Um, the stamps are stamps, easier. The it's, stamps were were replaced with something else. I don't remember what. So but actually, they, I, I, I know what they did with that. Uh, they I, I, I read about World, it. For 3D World, all they did is you still get stamps, but instead of using them in Miiverse, they added a photo mode where you can add stamps right. to yeah. your photos. That's I think I'd read about that the other day. Yeah. So um, I, I will say the stamps are easier. The big one um, for those who played the HD version of Wind Waker is they when they redid Wind Waker, they actually had to take a function that was GameCube specific and redo it for Wii U, and that was the Tingle Tuner, which was used with the Game Boy Advance um, stuff. We're gonna actually get to some of that, I think. But um, <laughs> please, they, I hope so. <laughs> they, <laughs> um, on Wii U, they replaced it with a Tingle bottle, which served a very different purpose, but it allowed a full Miiverse connectivity that was actually seamless into the game. It's the best Miiverse functionality in any Wii U title, in my opinion. Um, it's opinion based, but it's a low bar. I, I, that's, I, that's I think um, I think Mario Maker had better, perhaps. But but Miiverse now doesn't exist. It's been shut down, and that was a pretty big part of Wind Waker HD. So if they bring that for Zelda 35, they would have to do something surrounding that functionality in the game, and there was some weird stuff that you could do with that. Um, trying to keep us moving. Um, other Zelda stuff, you're going to see something. I think you're going to see a re-release of Skyward Sword this year. I think that's the only one that I would say that oh. people are rumoring about that's going to happen. It's easy to adapt to Switch 
with the motion controls. And people have been clamoring for it, which means they know that there's money involved. They can sell it for a $79 price tag in Canada. Probably. So I, I was talking to a friend about this just the other night. Um, <clears throat> I would, I think Skyward Sword deserves a re-release, and I would love to see that. I also don't know how they would even do it because um, <clears throat> it was all about the Wii Motion Plus, right? It was uh, about motion control. and No, it was it was the Motion Plus. You couldn't right, play it without the Wii Motion Plus, isn't that right? Right. But the, the, the game came with a with one of the first iterations yeah. of a Wiimote with the Motion Plus built into it. Yes. So, but the so Wii you Motion... can do that with Joy-Cons. Correct. But but uh, they would not. I don't believe that they would release a game that requires you to play with separate with the Joy Cons separate in your hand. They already did. Are you you're talking about Odyssey? No, I'm talking about uh, one Switch. So um... okay, that's but that's hardly even a game. That's like a <laughs> okay, the, no, no, no. But but to be fair, there have been uh, one or two games. You you can't play uh, Super Paper Mar- or Super Mario Party with anything other than the single Joy-Con. I th- my point is more, I can see them doing it. Um, you know, they might have to know. make some ad- adaptation. They might try and bring parts of it in that don't require motion control and make the game a little bit more um, friendly, maybe. But Skyward Sword is actually, um, you know, if the internet is to be believed, and, you know, I believe everything on the internet, um, that... <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of money there. If Nintendo can do it, they'll do it, because it's... it's I mean, look at 3D World, 3D All-Stars, I meant, you know? Um, they, they slap a price tag on old games, and they sell, like, hotcakes. It's Nintendo. It's the Nintendo yeah, business but, model. But that, I mean, yeah, again, like, to use your point, uh, look at All-Star, look at 3D All-Stars. <clears throat> that showed us that they can easily port GameCube and Wii games and, and Nintendo 64 games uh, to make them playable on the Switch. Uh, none of that points to a playable Skyward Sword, at least not one that they could do without a whole bunch of changes. Like they could easily port, they could they could just pop the uh, practically just pop the Wind Waker and Twilight Princess ports right on there. Like, sure, they'd have to change the Tingle stuff. I don't know, but especially the the Twilight Princess one, I don't think would be that that tough for them to do. And then throw in um, throw. Ocarina and Majora's Mask into a collection or make them separate, like just just like they did with Mario 64. Whatever your thoughts, ABC, are on this, you and I both know that Ocarina of Time will be the best seller and that with Nintendo will never, okay, so never I, miss I, an opportunity I, to repackage I, it. I, 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 have, I have two hot takes here. One, there will not be a release for the Zelda anniversary. Um, there won't be, and it's because A.G. Onuma is busy with uh, the Breath of the Wild sequel. You don't need and it. hold on. And the 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 trend with Japanese developers is that they don't like doing things with their old games mm-hmm. unless the original creators are involved in them. Um, I know that Square Enix has actually like come out and talked about this in the past, and I know that it's a a common thing with with other uh, devs in Japan where like. They'll say, oh, we re-released this game and this game, but not that one because I didn't work on it. It's not mine to touch. I, I don't feel right uh, doing an update of it. And the reason that uh, that Mario is so easy to do is because Tanabe is so heavily involved in everything 
Mario, and he's actually involved in a bunch of different development teams. But pretty much from Ocarina of Time onward, it's all Onuma. Um, I think if you do see anything Zelda related, you see something using the the Link's Awakening engine again. You see another one of those old games, like the Game Boy games, ported. Uh, I don't, I don't think you see the 3D games make a a re-release. Uh, I think Nintendo holds off on those until something like an an N64 online uh, emulation system. Um, I do think, however, that of all of the Nintendo IP celebrating anniversaries this year, we see a Kirby collection um, because HAL Labs has celebrated Kirby probably the most out of any Nintendo IP consistently. Like, uh, you know, the, the last time that prior to 3D All-Stars, the last time that Mario got a, a real anniversary game uh, was on the Wii. And uh, it was like a year or so apart from the Kirby collection. And the Kirby collection was bar none, like a more feature complete uh, love letter to the franchise. And the the Mario collection was just Super Mario All-Stars for the SNES slapped on a Wii disc uh, and nothing more. But wow. the, 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 the Kirby Wii collection had a bunch of games, a bunch of extra content built from the ground up for the collection and in and a whole museum section. Um, it, it, not spent too much time on speculation. I'll just say one other piece of evidence towards getting something is that we they have basically ported over every week game at this point. Major seller, yeah. And the only two that are really Except missing, the two Zelda there's the, besides Xenoblade, games. only two are missing as prospects are the two Zelda games. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Star Fox. Nobody big, big sellers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yeah. Any other news we want to cover? Um, I mean, there was a cool Resident Evil presentation, but I don't think you guys really watched it, did you? I, w- I watched it. I did. I watched it. I did. I have not tried uh, the demo yet, though. The game didn't look as visually impressive to me as I thought it would. It's because it's not a next-gen it game. Pretty good. It did look pretty good, but it's also not a next-gen game. Well, I sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Compared to... Uh, Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil Remake 2 and 3. Uh the 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 game looks on par with those which it's the same engine. Well, yes, but sorry, it looks on par with them because it it looks like a game from the previous generation. But it is a game in the previous generation. It is not an exclusive next gen game. It is being simultaneously launched on PS4. I get that. It it the presentation should have used footage of the the next gen game and they it did not seem like they did um, i think they did so maybe i don't know maybe it's just uh also don't remember don't forget the game's not done i i yeah i i don't oh, yeah just say don't don't judge sometimes when, when when's it coming out again may may okay so like this is usually around the time where you would think that they would put out their their best visual foot to to hook people right and i don't a lot, a lot of the the response I saw, especially on Twitter, uh, a little bit on Reddit, was generally middling. Kind of people not as excited anymore after the the presentation. Now, you, you know something. Not, that's not what but, I was seeing at all. I don't know. Where, <laughs> who you're I, I I will say by comparison, things like the the Monster Hunter presentation that Capcom put out. So you know, also Capcom uh, was much better received. Well, you know, again, game. 
it, it's not out yet. I, I like to, I like to give devs the benefit of the doubt. It, I didn't see any negative feedback. I actually saw mostly positive stuff, but I, I didn't dive into the bowels of Reddit, which is not always the um, nice, <laughs> if you nicest go to the, place. If you go to the Resident Evil subreddit right now, it is 99% people um, going apeshit about the uh, big and tall lady, how much they love the big and tall lady. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but, but yeah, everyone's nuts they, about They've it got a thing reason. for the big and tall lady. Yeah, I everybody... It doesn't awaken something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> is, that a, is that a community reference? That, that is was a community, community reference. reference. Nice. <laughs> Um, I, I'm actually interested in this one. I haven't played a Resident Evil game in years, but you know, this one it looks good to me, and I might be looking for something new on the PS5. So you might want to play. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, up to you whether you do or not. But um, this one seems to tie closely in with the story from Resident Evil Seven, so it might be a good idea to play that one first. But uh, I don't I have know. to add it to the list. You do you. I think it's actually on the PS Plus collection, so you can play it for free. Well then, now I have no excuses. <laughs> Alright. Well, um, that was a nice little capture of news for the week. Um, I am sure there's lots of other stuff, guys. Feel free to you know, ask us about our opinions in chat or in Discord or on Twitter or wherever you like to communicate with us. Um, we have opinions on everything that came out this week, but there's just not enough time to talk about it all. Uh, we do want to get to our main topic for today. Uh, we just, we've been talking a lot, um, about, you know, we, we actually did touch on it a little bit just now from where ga- the gaming industry started all the way back. You know, um, you know, we, we've had, we've seen a lot of innovation that has, you know, ta- uh, you know, taken really control of the industry, um, where we are now. Some of it has had a lot of staying power. Some of it is not. And we are now seeing the emergence of several new innovations that might change the scope of gaming or might not um i thought we'd get we'd start out with just to you know kind of do a quick run through history of stuff that really has um changed things um and the first one i want to start with uh we, we've been on here a bit we wouldn't be anywhere um you know we, we would not have this guy right here if it wasn't for nintendo's innovation um and i'm flexing because i know these are hard to find too <laughs> but um you know this is, I think, the culmination of Nintendo's innovation over the past, you know, however, what, what, what years is it now? 2021, so we're talking 35 years in the gaming industry. Um, and I do mean gaming industry, so I know Nintendo's... How, how dare you not acknowledge their gambling history that dates back <laughs> over a century? I am not acknowledging that. <laughs> this is a gaming podcast. <laughs> um, so, Nintendo really is the innovator in this industry you know mm-hmm. xbox and playstation controllers have looked the same since their first iterations nintendo not so much <laughs> i mean every so often their controllers sort of getting you know cancerous growths that you don't know what to do with um <laughs> or, or, or they end up basically dialing all the way back down to the wii so i'd like to start at the game Boy. um i think the game boy is in of itself one of the most interesting technological advancements of the entire gaming industry. I don't think we'd have mobile gaming, you know, where people are playing Candy Crush on their phones if it wasn't for the Game Boy. Like, I, I, I really don't. Um, Wait, the, the Game Boy, not the Game & Watch? I, I'm going to say the Game Boy, and there's a reason okay. why. 
there's a reason why. So the Game & Watch is, it's nice that you brought Game & Watch, you know, we had mobile things, but they're, you know, you have to buy the one that, you know what I mean? It's like one game, right? You buy... Yeah, you buy one unit, it's got one game. And the Game Boy really changed that up. If you go ask a lot of casual gamers today what a Game & Watch is, not gonna know you know my mother my mother still calls the, you know, it's, the, the, it's the blue dude who, who turns into an octopus in smash bros right, yeah that it's guy. the guy from smash bros right but you know i can know like if I, my mother still calls my ds and my 3ds you know when i was in high school whatever she used to call those game boys game right Boy. but she couldn't yeah. tell me what a game and watch is that alone <laughs> says it all yeah right that's a good point you know so the household name it's a household name and it, it seems so simple you know uh, you know really crude graphics you know, a very simple display. Not even there's no color on the original game, and yet every, the games that are on that system are memorable. And the, it, it, more importantly, and I have a game here sitting in a closet somewhere, right? That it shows that colors and everything. I could take that thing, and those it would last on four AA batteries for a few days. You know, I I think that as far as innovation goes, that is one of the greatest was Nintendo's foray into it's real truly. True foray into mobile gaming um, was the Game Boy. So, as you pointed out, the <clears throat> excuse me, the Game Boys. So, the Game Boy was not the first um, handheld gaming device. Obviously, we already brought up Game and Watch. It uh, was it. Uh, I'm genuinely not actually not sure about this, but I feel like one of you guys will know. Was it the first handheld gaming device that allowed you to? Um, Play multiple games by swapping game cards. I'm not actually 100 sure. I did explicit research about that. Um, I, I I know a piece of trivia about that, but not not the answer to that exact question. It it's very related though, uh, which is that Gunpei Yokoi did not initially want it to have interchangeable cartridges. He wanted it to just be a next level of the Game and Watch. And Nintendo effectively said, "No, the Famicom is selling really well." Like, do this. And smart. to his credit, they were smart. They they, they yeah. understand, right? Makes now, sense. I will say, I don't know if it's the first, but it's certainly prominent. Um, yeah. You know, there are other handheld systems that popped up in the subsequent years as well. You know, you had things like Atari Jaguar. Is that the right one? Uh, no, no. Links. 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 Thank you. I, big yeah. cats. Come and I, I mean, the, 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 the Game & Watch, in some sense, lived on through tiger electronics devices which were <laughs> yeah. more you know oh, lcd yeah. panel uh games that single screen games that very much were like game and watches right if Just not a little bit bulkier yeah <laughs> but, but i would say uh, yeah i would say that you know mobile gaming in of itself doesn't take a lot of inspiration from other places it takes it from game and you know all these little side shoots, they, they also tried to compete and they all sort of fizzled out in the end of the day. You know, even into, you know, more of the modern era, modern era, PSP, PlayStation Vita, not bad systems, decent games. And yet, Sony's not making any more handheld consoles. So, you, you know, the most interesting part of the, the mobile development for, for games handhelds was that weird period in the the 16-bit era where everyone was like you know what we're just going to make a, a handheld version of the home game console so you had like the the turbo express and yeah. the uh and the the sega nomad and 
it was just like plug your Genesis cartridge into this and take it on the go. It lasts lasts longer than a Game Gear. Right. Yeah. I, cool I have a Game Gear. I also have a wall outlet thing for it, so I don't have to put <laughs> six AA batteries in it because it's not it chews through those batteries like nuts. Now, I mean, I, I want to keep this topic moving. So, whereas you have Nintendo innovating with Boy, their next one didn't do so well. Um, I, I mean, I touch very briefly on this because um, I know we're going to get a little bit more into our modern innovations in a little while. But let's not forget that Nintendo was the very first, uh, well, not the very first, but, you know, really early adopters of VR. Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if I get a seizure from the red, you know, polygons flying at me, right? Um, I would love to get a virtual boy, get my hands on a virtual boy, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I feel like there's just something to be said about having that. I think my wife would kill me. There's no reason, <laughs> there's no reason to have that take up space in my, in my home, but my God, do I ever want a virtual boy. So my friend uh, Intoxicatious, I think, has one or used to. I don't know if he still has it. I don't know if he's still in chat, but um, uh, but yeah, I wonder if he still got that thing. I, I I've tried it out a little bit. I don't know if have you have you guys. Uh, I've tried. I played with the Virtual Boy once. Yeah. Yes, I I've played with it a few times. Um, there's actually a a consoleizer mod for it, so you can have it do. I think it's VGA video out. Um, so you can play that on a TV in grayscale. How does that work though? Because isn't I guess they just give you one of the two feeds yeah something like that because it, it spits out i believe it spits out the same feed and it's just a a distancing of the the mirrors within the headset normally that that creates the 3d effect it's not it's not polarized the same way that like 3ds videos slightly different uh perspectives to give you the the effective uh, depth it's right possible yeah I, I again i i remember learning about how the virtual boy worked um because it wasn't so much vr as it was strapping a screen to your face well isn't that all VR what's the difference <laughs> well let's hold on the, no no we'll it, 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 had, it, it had the virtual <laughs> part it didn't have the reality part right? <laughs> i guess what reality do you live in now? <laughs> um let's hold a little bit more on vr i do want to just talk really I brought up Virtual Boy because it was innovative, but nobody wanted it, right? So why? Why didn't it sell? That's my question. Is I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but you know, it shows there's, that innovation isn't everything, right? So, so knowing the history of the system is tells you first why the system existed, but um, but also why it failed, which is it came out in a time when technologies were advancing so rapidly that uh, if you had manufacturing delays or production delays, development delays, whatever it was in your next system, and you weren't putting out the next latest and greatest thing, your competitors were taking the, the space from you. And that's what happened to Nintendo. The Ultra 64 was already well into development. And um, which was the Nintendo 64, which eventually uh, became the Nintendo 64. Yeah. And uh, it had development delays and their competitors had said, like, yeah, the the Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation are coming um, and they are going to be, you know, that that next latest and greatest device. 
uh, and Nintendo said, oh, yeah, well, we uh, we already have the, the Virtual Boy. It's it's here and ready to go. Um, go rent it at your nearest Blockbuster or you know, Funko <laughs> Land or whatever game store you got near you. Um, and, you know, it clearly wasn't a a step up from anything. Maybe it was a step up from the Game Boy, but it wasn't a step up from the Super Nintendo, which it was uh, supposed to be kind of succeeding or superseding there and it didn't compare to what was being previewed for the saturn or the playstation so yeah well it was a specific gimmick right it was like yeah and of course obviously it's it doesn't look hyper realistic or anything but and and the the, magazines uh, were and the magazines were still pushing the 64 is coming you know coming soon mm -hmm. so um so all right so you mentioned Okay, so yeah, we we have you know, this gimmick. Okay, this is this is good. So a gimmick that nobody really wanted, I guess that was the best way to put it. In this case, there was better technology. But here's an interesting one. So Nintendo again, master of gimmicks, does it 2006 with the Wii. Now this is one of those. Yeah. This is one of those innovations, for better or for worse. That's still around today, right? Yeah. The motion control still exists. Every console has something of it now, Nintendo more than others. But, and, you know, we'll hit VR in a little bit, but really plays into it. But um, motion control was, by the way, I mean, the Wii is one of the best selling consoles of all time, right? Not, not number one, but it's, it's up there. Pretty close. They hit it. And then Xbox and PlayStation come up with their answers and nothing, right? Nobody cares. I mean, Xbox discontinued the Kinect that they were packaging with the Xbox One, right? I have a Kinect for the Xbox One that never gets used. Right, so what the, what the hell happened there? Why is it that that innovation worked for Nintendo but nobody else? Um, well, I'll tell you what I think about it. Uh, I think it was a few different factors. Um, the Nintendo Wii was the cheapest console of that generation. Right. And I think that the low price and the approachable controller um, and the motion controls were very well suited to casual players. You had like grandparents <laughs> that are that are playing like Wii bowling. Um, yeah. And and then you look at the Xbox with the Kinect. Um, it's a bit harder to set up. It's a bit more finicky. Uh, it requires more space to really use properly. Um, yeah. It's more expensive, and the entire console, the entire package, does not appear, uh, you know, like casual friendly or like beginner friendly. I think that's, I think that's really the difference in my mind. Is like the Xbox and the PlayStation were more for core gamers. Uh, and core gamers didn't really care that much about motion controls. No, they really didn't. I mean, look, I I, I was a Nintendo guy growing up. I bought right into the Wii. Um, I loved the oh, Wii. Oh, I got one right I, away. I, I mean, I loved it. But I defended it against other consoles too forever. I I, I still love Nintendo, but I, if I have an option to turn off the motion controls, I almost always do now. Mm-hmm. So I've got a a memory of the Wii that is not motion control related when they first announced it. And that was, you know, all of the press was not going to the motion controls. 
the big thing when Nintendo, you know, like they announced the revolution, which eventually became the Wii was, hey, this thing is going to play all your old games digitally because uh, Nintendo wasn't really sure what the, the selling point to this thing was initially. <laughs> They're like, it's it's a virtual console box like you're going to buy NES and SNES and N64 games all in one place. And this controller is versatile and allows you to, to quickly switch between these these modern motion control games. And hey, turn it sideways, and it's an NES controller. Oh, and plug in the plug in the classic so controller, and to play with that thing, right? And tur- for actually for the longest time, uh, a sideways Wii remote has been my my go to wireless NES controller. Oh yeah, yeah, because uh, it's it's just it's so easy to sync with Bluetooth devices. Yeah, but, okay. Um, but that was one of the big selling points and the because they weren't sure if motion was going to be the next big thing it was kind of caked into everything but they said well if it doesn't sell like this maybe it'll sell as a virtual box for all these old systems or or if that doesn't work uh it'll be a great distribution place for all these little what eventually became WiiWare, the little indie developed games that could be published here for like five bucks uh you know digital distribution was a new thing for nintendo or a new-ish thing for Nintendo. It was interesting because the other console, this was around the time digital really took off. Uh, another, you know, another innovation that we'll touch about, touch on at the end of a little bit, as you know, the internet really came into play. But Nintendo did it differently, where it was, you know, you're not going to buy, you know, Twilight Princess for Wii digitally, but you are going to buy Super Mario World and Ocarina of Time. I mean, I bought it in a virtual console. Still wish they oh, had a yeah. virtual console. I know, yeah. That was virtual console was great. I think like because they had such a well loved library of games from older consoles, like that was definitely a selling point. Yeah, like I get that's that's I think one of the reasons the Wii was so was as successful as it was is because it appealed to both crowds, right? You had the casual gamers that could get into like the Wii sports and stuff like that, but then the people who had been gaming for 20 years of their life um could get into the the virtual console it was like right. here are all these old classics and you can have them for a couple bucks each uh, and, and play them and I, the I, I think if you if you look at nintendo's track record for consoles um and for handhelds you can tell where they felt unsure of their next technological innovation because those systems all had virtual consoles um right the the Wii the Wii U and the 3DS all had the same format for virtual console yeah um and for the DSi I guess as well had had DSi where it didn't have have virtual console but they all had those those you know small digital distribution mostly old titles some new indie developed titles all under this one heading of virtual console or WiiWare and here you can have it for you know, five to seven bucks a piece. Um, and that's going to be an additional selling point because we're not sure if the motion controls or or uh, asynchronous uh, gameplay or three, 3D on a handheld is going to be a selling point. Right. Yeah, Nintendo, you know, they, they definitely are known to take risks that innovation what's going to drive the, the industry forward. Um, 
even when it falls flat on its face <clears throat> wii u <laughs> and but yeah actually speaking of the wii u like i think something that what they did wrong with the wii u why the wii u was so unsuccessful was um uh partially i think i really think the naming hurt them on that because oh, yeah. a lot of people just didn't really get what it was like they thought it was like oh this is a tablet controller for for the wii and they did the, the people didn't know this no this is a brand new console with it's like more powerful it's got new games and stuff but also um i think they made the mistake of thinking that all of these people these non-gamers that bought into the wii were now going to jump onto the wii u and they're right. those people are going to be like well i already have the wii so i don't need this <laughs> and right. i think I, that's I really what happens yeah yeah exactly i think the wii u was but well, actually i'd rather say it this way is that the switch is what the wii U should have been um you know, they, they kind of pushed the biggest selling point for me the Wii U was that I could, you know, my wife could sit there and watch television while I was sitting there <laughs> playing it on my on the tablet. Yeah. But you know, people who had a Wii U and it worked, it worked great. And mm-hmm. a lot of the games were made for these dual screens that then when you went to a single screen it didn't work quite right. Um, you know, without getting too into it, the switch is what it always should have been, you know, fully truly next gen gaming, but mobile. Um, and I like that, you know, like I said, you know, Nintendo has shown they know how to drive this industry forward. Um, I want to, you know, I want to get, you know, into some of these other topics here and talk about what the internet has done, uh, for gaming. Uh, we talked about the digital distribution, um, which I think is, you know, it's made gaming more accessible. You know, a game that, you know, sells out of stores, you could buy it online. Or digital. if there's a global pandemic, you can just right. I haven't had to go to, <laughs> you know, an EB Games or GameStop forever, which is you know, and they're all going to go out of business until, hey. <laughs> um, but, um, it's been nice, you know, and that's why when I actually bought my PS5, I bought the digital. Edition. I don't care, and I know some people do, and I mean that's that's fine, that's great. You know, you, people want their physical media, they want their collections, and I have no problem with that. But for me, it really works into my life where. You, know, you saw this on PC gaming first with Steam, but I see no reason not to have it digital. All right, so I I, I don't know which one of us Let's wants to, to to <laughs> jump in here. Both of us have our our you know big stacks of of games. I, I do. Us. Mine's just on the other side. And of the room. and, and Cabrons has you know. Uh, I have games over here. <laughs> um, but. Obviously, uh, some of us are certainly very much into having our, our physical collections, um, even if, you know, we do digitize them. But uh, the. For for some people, having that physical piece of media, that they can say, like, if the service ever goes down, I will still have access to this. Um, or, you know, one day this game will only be playable in this format or, you know, there's all sorts of reasons. I think that I can rationalize for having uh, certain games or many games physical. But I'm also the guy who, you know, just bought more CDs. So maybe I'm not the best example <laughs> yeah. of this. But like it, there, I feel this way sometimes about digital distribution where like before the the, the Mega Man Legacy collection came out. Um, the most recent one, the one that had uh, seven, eight, and nine, and ten on it. Um, 
because the original collection had one through six. Uh, the only ways to get Mega Man 9 and 10 were through these digital distribution networks that are shut down. They're, they're, they don't, they, you can't get them digitally anymore that way. Um, so like when, when the Wii Shop shut down, I jumped on it and spent like a hundred bucks worth of, of Wii points picking up all the games that I knew were not available anywhere else. Yeah, and- um, because like that Wii U, as long as I keep that Wii U alive and transfer it when it seems to be failing, like those games are, are locked to that system. They're not attached to an account. They're not like once that Wii U dies, it's dead. Mm-hmm. Those games are lost. And there are games that will disappear with that. You know, mm-hmm. until recently, Scott Pilgrim on, on 360 was like that, right? Until it got its re-release more recently. Right. So, you know, when I when I see a game that I know I like, I have to have it physically. And because, like I said, you know, that's fair. It's, that's one of those to reach their own moments. You know, some people don't care about those games when they're lost. Or some people do. I, I think my point was more the accessibility that the internet has brought us, you know, that people can choose to, you know, I really need a new game today. Yeah. I, I really want to play something new. But, hey, I'm in a global pandemic. I can't go to the store. <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, I can download uh, Final Fantasy VII on my Switch, right? Like, the, there's something to be said about... Um, it's also a huge asset for uh, for smaller developers that can now uh, distribute their games much more easily. Exactly, indie games. You know, the limited run games aside, you know, they still only pick a handful. You know, most games that don't have these big publishers can just push it off to the Xbox Store, to the PlayStation Store, to the Nintendo eShop. And I, I would say that the the internet has provided a means of accessibility that we didn't have. So I, I, I simultaneously agree and disagree that like the, the advent of digital sales of games meant that uh, indie developers were suddenly, you know, making a scene that didn't exist prior to that. Uh, you know, they're suddenly able to popularize a game that wasn't on store shelves. Um, the, the, the modern, uh, version of this though where like AAA games can be downloaded off of Steam or off of your your uh, game consoles has kind of pushed a lot of those indie games to the side and unless you're a big indie game that's partnered with mm-hmm. a publisher or partnered with a console manufacturer who's going to push your game you know you are on page 7 of your respective consoles eShop and you're probably not getting the same mm-hmm. levels of success that yeah, you know, you you only hear the success stories from the the games that are coming from established developers or established franchises, but you never hear like, you know, look, we were talking about Cyber Shadow before. Yeah. Would you have known about Cyber Shadow were it not for Yacht Club publishing it? Would yeah, would I know about Yacht Club if not Yacht, for Yacht Club? But Yacht Club was the Kickstarter darling, right? Yacht That's Club. True. That's everyone true. knows because they were the most successful Kickstarter up until that point in time. And they actually delivered on their product. What you have to right? remember, though, is that, you know, without Kickstarter, you know, these things couldn't have existed. It's not a matter of do we hear the success stories. It's that the success stories wouldn't have existed without the innovation that exactly. we're talking about. Exactly. You yeah. know, so what you're saying is true, but 
what we're saying now, is also, true. Also, Yacht Club's a weird situation because, like, they are also all former Way Forward staff. So, like, they are when they they effectively took their ball and left from uh, Way Forward. People fo- who who were aware of them, you know, actively promoted the fact. Oh, hey, this is all. This is a studio of all these old Way Forward staff. So, if you like, you know these games that they developed you'll probably like their next venture right but some games just kind of bake it through word of mouth and that's great and sometimes you know you might have a sleeper hit in there but the fact is that the studio which they might not be making you know making it millions and millions and millions but they're making enough to keep their lights on but they still wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the way that we have it. yeah like self-publishing self-distribution was not even possible. oh yeah no no i I, i'm not saying it's digital distribution i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying that because self-publishing moved from like that we were talking about we wear an xbox live arcade before because it moved from like that purely indie scene to just general storefronts i think the the direct impact on the indie scene um has not necessarily been as positive as it once was and like as as consoles especially go digital only, and we're seeing that, right? Um, there's going to be a bigger push from the EAs and the Activisions and the you know the Ubisofts yeah. to get their games front and center on every storefront uh, front. So you know if Ubisoft puts out six games a year, if EA puts out ten games a year, how much space is available? They're yeah, gonna that, spend their money that's... putting themselves front and center as often as possible i have heard that from from indies that visibility on those storefronts can be an issue that's definitely it that's definitely true it is you know you gotta kind of like i said you got sleeper hits in there you know some things will be discovered some things won't be it's it's a cutthroat industry what can i say oh Um, yeah no i i I just you know when we talk about digital distribution we have to talk about the whole of it not just like hey the advent of it was great but also, what does the future mean for this section of yeah, the industry? I guess we're still we're still figuring it out. But I still think that digital distribution, on the whole, is has been positive for for indies. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, the internet is a, has now allowed this new era of easy access to games through subscription. That's uh, you know, where we're kind of moving into now. Yeah. So I I don't know if you you have Game Pass, right, K Burns? I do. And I believe Frostbite, you said at the beginning that you actually just signed up for Game Pass. Um. Yeah. This, this is my second time. <laughs> they it was on. They had a one month for a dollar thing before. Like I think it was earlier twenty twenty maybe. And I grabbed it at the time for the one month, and then, or maybe I had it for a couple months or something. But then I ended up canceling it, and then picked it up again in December um, when, when they had the $1 for or three months for $1 thing going on. So that that's still going. Yeah. I I'm still on the $1. So, thing. so then I've got a question for the both of you. Cause I, I don't subscribe to any of these uh, streaming game services effectively um, or subscription game services. Do you ever buy the games that you enjoy on these platforms? I I haven't, but I would if I couldn't finish it before I left. Um, that has not happened yet. Um, I do know people who have. 
it's not, you know, uh, it depends on, it honestly depends on your habits too. Um, but I would say that it's made certain games very accessible and it's allowed people to try games that they might nor- normally have done. Uh, for instance, I just played Ukulele in the Possible Lair for an hour and a half a couple weeks ago. Didn't care for it, personally. But <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I didn't want to spend 40 bucks on it. Now I don't have to. There you, you go. To, you have to remember, it used to be, you mentioned it, we could go into Blockbuster and rent the game to decide if we liked it for three days. Can't do that anymore. I guess you can say this game pass is the nat- nat- uh, natural successor to that. Yeah. It is and it isn't, though, right? I mean, you think about the, like, the volume of people who get in there probably balance out the, the, the costs. But, uh, like, if you rented a game for a week, that was, what, 10 12 15 dollars to rent a game inflation <laughs> yeah but then you know, how, how much of that was going to how much um, of that was the, the oh. store that you rented it from the to pay the employees of the store pay the distribution of the physical sure. copy sure but and, and we know at least on the, the blockbuster front that they were just buying out stock because because we have the history for this that we know that they were just buying out stock uh from game stores so like the game stores got theirs blockbuster got theirs the individual game manufacturers got the equivalent of that one purchase the first time and really they were the the only loser of the bunch um i i imagine the deal is probably better for those who are on services like game pass and ps now and but the thing about um, Game Pass that makes it so good over, um, and I don't want to step on my toes here, cross we're going to talk about it in a couple minutes, um, you know, stuff like PS Now or Stadia, uh, Stadia, is that you don't have to stream. You can now, actually, with Game Pass, at least on Android devices, it's coming to PC and iPhones, I believe, later this year. Mm-hmm. But you can download them. And you can have the full experience, right? Like, I'm, I was playing Dragon Quest Eleven on stream through Game Pass. I, right, full, full game running natively on my PC. I I played through a Plague Tale. I played through the Outer Worlds. Day one, might I add, you know, yeah. I got bored a couple weeks ago. I played some Forza Horizon. I don't race play racing games, but that was like a fun two hours, right? Like, you know, it's it's allowed. Again, might not be for everybody, but as somebody who likes to try things before they buy them and haven't had that opportunity since rental stores went down the tubes, it's nice. I've also had, um, I've on and off had a subscription to uh, EA Play, uh, formerly known as uh, Origin Access, I think. Yep. Um, I've, yep, had, I've had a subscription to that on and off for a couple of years um, because I think it was always only five bucks a month for the base subscription. So if there was even one game on there you wanted to play, it's like pretty good. It was deal. worth it. Yeah. Yep. Like I, I'd gone, I'd, I picked it up, you know, you could play Mass Effect, uh, Titanfall, Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2. Um, uh, I played Unravel 2 uh, with my girlfriend, which is a fantastic couch co-op game, by the way. Um, um, yeah, like there's there's a lot of good stuff on there for five bucks. I mean, I, I'll crap on EA as much as the next guy, but uh, but it's a, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think like... and. It, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a weak argument, I think, but sometimes they're games that I would never have paid money to try, but 
because I was already, I already bought into the subscription, I was willing to give them a shot. And sometimes you end up finding something that you really enjoy because of that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, even at the Game Pass, Ultimate, whatever, I think in Canada here, it's $16.99 a month. And that, and that's, that could be steep, right? Now, you also get, just to be clear about that, it's not just Game Pass. You get all the Xbox Live stuff. It's like their top tier subscription, right? Um, but, you know, if you, if you want a game for a month, like, let's say you want to play through a Plague Tale, right? Plague Tale, when it came out, was probably just like every other game, $79.99, but it drops on Game Pass day one. It didn't, but new games are. I could just do it on Game Pass for sixty nine dollars a month, cancel my subscription at the end of the day, and play the entire game. So, you know, there is some value there for some. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the value. Um, I think I like at least having a license of a game, yeah. generally. But, but like I said, you know, it's not, you're not buying that, the that, game. That's, that's, that's my thing. I hope that uh, publishers continue to allow both options going forward. But yeah, you can, you I, can I buy I the agree game. With that. As a footnote, um yeah like um subscription services are great uh digital distribution is great as long as it's not the only right right (laughs) and nor is it like if you wanted to you know great great example is halo infinite is coming sometime this century and it it's going to drop on game pass day one they've said that um i i'm just gonna play on game pass i I mean i played all the halo games right i i i'll i'll it's going to be on PC. I'm going to download it. I'm going to play it. You know, if that was the only game I was going to play, great. It's basically like renting it for $16.99 a month, plus every other game I get on the damn service. Where some people might want to buy it because they're going to be really into that multiplayer and they want to own it without having to pay $16.99 a month for other games they're never going to play. So as you said, you want both options. At least for now, both options are available. Cool. And I do think that that segues quite nicely into where Game Pass is taking us. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, we talked about now uh, subscription services. We talked about digital distribution. Uh, I guess like the next, the next level of this, this online um, digital landscape is uh, streaming, game streaming services. I'm not talking about Twitch. I'm talking about playing a game that's coming through the internet to your controller. Like talking, uh, we're talking about Stadia is the big one right now, which is kind of funny to say. But uh, Stadia is like the biggest. Well, game, and there's but also the, the biggest joke. Isn't there that Amazon one that's also in the works or Lua. is coming? They're, they're all oh, yeah, the everyone's got one now. Everyone's you got, got Stadia. You got Lua. Game Pass is already doing it. Uh, actually, the first was Sony PS Now. Um, well, and there's other, there's other options, NVIDIA, camera. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is shaking up, uh, shaking up distribution, shaking up the industry and the way people think about game consoles, I guess. Right. So, I mean, the big question is, uh, is this, is this the future for, for game consoles? And the answer is no. And that's the end. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the question. But, have, you, uh, have you tried it? Yeah, I, I did. So I actually just, I tried Stadia uh, a couple nights ago because um, I knew we were going to be talking about this stuff. I was like, you know what? If I want to have something um, useful, something accurate to say about it, maybe I should try it for myself. So they now have, um, 
they now have uh it's available it used to be um available only for people who pre-order or something like there was some limitation on that now anyone can get it um you can play it in your browser uh and there, you can get a one month free trial so i grabbed cool. my one month free trial decided to try it out um how'd it run it, it actually i had really low expectations i'll be honest uh the idea of streaming gameplay does not appeal to me very much but it exceeded my expectations i gotta be honest i i was kind of impressed with it i uh, i i was too i didn't try stadia i i the game pass on android and yeah i had i couldn't notice the input delay so i tried um i tried okay so let me let me just talk about this briefly the whole the the um the dream that, that they're selling here with, with these services is, uh, um, you know, you can, you don't have to buy any expensive hardware. Uh, you can play your games anywhere on, on all your devices. Um, you don't have to worry about upgrading hardware ever because the hardware is owned by the host service, right? Um, they've just got a, a server rack that's running all these games somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, play play it anywhere. Don't have to worry about hardware. Don't have to worry about upgrades. Uh, and you and for and you can use your existing. You know, if you've already got controllers and stuff lying around, you can use your existing stuff. Like it, basically, I was able to sign up for a Stadia account and just start playing immediately, completely for free, no monetary investment whatsoever, which is pretty cool. Um, the downsides to it that uh that i see and that these are like the common downsides to the whole idea of of uh streaming gameplay um first of all obviously you have to have an internet connection you have to be online uh if your internet craps out if you have slow internet that's going to greatly affect the um quality of your experience um so that's a big one um Latency can be a concern in input latency, especially for certain games or certain genres of games. Uh, like I wouldn't be playing, I wouldn't be on there. I wouldn't be playing Street Fighter or something like that uh, on these things because even even with a like in person console with your controller plugged in, sometimes input latency can be a concern already. Just with modern controllers, modern TVs. So you know, I don't think it's for everything. Um, the other thing is what we were already talking about with the uh, digital dis- distribution, which is lack of lack of ownership of these games, and that's an even greater concern with the streaming services because um, not only are you relying on uh, a license to play these games, but you don't even get to download the game onto your system where it can be replayed. It's one hundred percent DRM based. Um, so I, I feel like these services are for a very specific type of person. <laughs> so so I actually have a, a great jumping off from that, which is that my concerns with regards to streaming go a little bit beyond even that that initial concern about DRM, which is that we're talking about games that we brought up things that were 
potentially lost to the ether before but like if you're an exclusive title to a a streaming service and that is like if you are a stadia exclusive and you don't have any uh, like you have no other deals in place to be released anywhere else and stadia goes under because you know when else has google shut down a service um google shutting down a service Ah, never. Yeah, that is going to bring you know, like action. we've talked about a bunch of these services that are in place, but of the bunch who weren't already in the gaming space, Google is the one that I would expect to probably try and bring in the most uh, potential studios developing exclusively for them. And if they go down, I don't know if any of those games survive that, you know, they're lost to the annals of history. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, I remember playing that once. Uh, is it possible to play it now? No, but there might be some YouTube footage of it somewhere. Like, yeah, that's well, the best we get. Um, I, I, this is a lot of speculation, but I would have to believe that um, those games would probably, it would probably be in, in the contract that, you know, it's an exclusive, uh, they've got exclusive distribution as long as the platform lives. <laughs> As long as the platform well, exists. Right. Except that we're talking about uh the potential of them buying studios, right? Because like that's that's the thing that everybody's yeah. doing these days is buying our own studios to yeah. act as like second party yeah. uh providers. Um and if Google shuts down their their uh gaming division and just says, fuck it, all the studios, we're shutting them all down, close them all out. We don't want the investment to in these guys anymore they they cost us too much you know we're not making our returns where do those yeah. games go um that's a good question i, I don't know uh yeah. i don't think we have the answer to that yet and I hope yeah no exactly. we, we, i don't think we'll have the answers to that for a few years but but that is um, definitely a concern like you guys brought up google loves to shut down services so yeah like so streaming services have been around for a while like on live you know it was yeah. bought by sony and shut down but on live to my knowledge didn't have uh any exclusive developers right they were just effectively uh games that were available on pcs were also generally available via on live service and then sony bought them and shut them down um mm-hmm. like this goes into your other point earlier too which that is it it's not a problem as long as you have an option right so you know i said i tried the streaming with game pass Cool. but I can download Forza on my computer as well as play it streaming, right? The same with every other game that's offered on Game Pass. Um, actually, some of them are available on streaming. It's actually more available to download than stream, whereas your concern is with Stadia. Stadia doesn't have a download up, right? Yeah. So there's where your, your innovation starts to break a little bit, right? You can't, you know, there is no sense of any ownership. Now, I know that, you know, there's DRM, when I download the game too, but at least the data is on my computer. I really always at Mac and I can figure something. You no, know? not that I'm saying I should, but I could. Um, whereas you can't do that with Stadia, right? Like you play Destiny too in the cloud. It's in the cloud. You're not getting it on your. I I, I see your concerns quite valid. Right? If those studios do shut down, I hope there's a backup plan somewhere. Yeah, well, I actually um, have a, a. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead first. Oh, I was going to say, I actually have a question for you guys with regards to streaming platforms. Have either of you guys used uh, PlayStation Now? Yep. 
Yep. Uh, I, I've used it on someone else's PS4. I've, I've seen it in action. I did on PS4 five years ago now. Cool. So I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the platform and what the games that are offered there, but there's a lot of PS3 games that are available via PS Now. Yeah, and PS2 games. And PS2 games. And that that started on PS4, obviously. And uh, no other way to play those games. Well, no, no other way well, to play it. Well, sorry, no, 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 <laughs> well, yes, no other way to play those games except for you know buying a PS3 or PS2. Now, but uh, uh, the 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 question I guess I pose to you here is, if a if a console developer is going to put something out like this, would you rather they also put out a an emulation service that you could yes. or, where you can buy Next those individual question. games because like preferably sure <laughs> look <laughs> preferably absolutely to your question i absolutely would yeah but like realistically is that going to happen now i'll say no probably not we're talking these streaming services ps now is the worst i ever used i noticed at times half a second input lag oh yeah yes I, I, it's very I, bad. that's part of the reason my expectations were so low with stadia um is because I tried PS Now first, and it was not very good in my yeah, opinion. It's, it's Which is interesting, because I tried, when I tried Game Pass, <laughs> I tried it in a room in my place that actually has not great internet. I actually have a Wi-Fi extender to get better internet in there, and I was on the wrong network when I tried it. Um, but, and it was still okay. Like, honestly, yeah. it, like, it was still pretty good. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be, like, you know, we still, you still need to have solid internet or a 5G connection and spend tons of money on data plans for it right so but you know to your question do i you know in terms of accessibility i would like them to have some sort of backwards compatibility options and modern emulators right, like because we're not talking about games that are, are going to be lost to the ether here we're talking games that are out you can go buy them you can go buy the platform that they came out on it's strictly like hey do you want to go play some old ps2 and ps3 games in a streaming yeah. service yeah. and that's what microsoft has done but I, it's not perfect, and it's up to the discretion of the publisher. But the Xbox Series XS systems can play games all the way the original Xbox as long as you have that disc, right? Pop them in, and it works. Yep. And the library of backwards compatible games on Xbox, quite extent. I think there's more that backwards compatible. Yeah, than at this point, Microsoft like that's a really really cool feature. I I think with the whole Xbox platform, like no one else is doing that. Oh, um, and they built full emulators. Kudos to them. Uh, we got a good, a uh, really good point here in, from in the chat from Intoxicacious. He says every concern ABC has um, regarding streaming, game streaming, uh, is under the label of games as a service. So uh, what he's talking about is like um, <clears throat> basically games that require a server to to play, uh, where you like you know World of Warcraft or or like stuff like that. Like you'll often hear about like oh this game servers are shutting down. Uh, coming this specific date and usually and that often means that once that happens the game's not really playable anymore <laughs> so that's not that's not a concern strictly for for streaming or for uh, digital distribution it's a it's a concern for physical games that run on servers as well um and in that regard now, maybe maybe we just have to look at some games as being uh you know fleeting experiences well, like if you buy a game that's i mean if it's service shutting down you buy a game that's an online experience you know like i buy uh 
trying to name a great example that just shut down recently, which is always a little difficult. But you know, have a one that didn't shut down recently. It's still technically active. Halo was one of the first. I think it was the first Halo game that was had a you know, strictly online multiplayer experience. I mean, there was co-op too, but um, I believe Halo Two. Halo Two was the big one for Xbox Live. It's what they sold it. Uh, you know, using effect. That, that's that's totally fine. We can even go back, right? Um, I just know Halo Three. The servers are still active, right? Yeah. So okay. I'm going to use Halo Three as my example. Um, still active. Still buy the game. Go play online. Except it really can't because nobody else is playing Halo Three. Yeah, which it, it's funny that you say that because again, uh, in the chat, intoxication just made, just made that point. Yeah. Also, if it's a multiplayer focused game. Uh, even if the servers are still up, even if he bought the game. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. I got, I got something to throw in here. Sometimes if a game is popular enough and if the community is there for it, uh, you will see homebrew servers pop up for them. Yeah. So that's not, that's uh, one of my favorite things that exists, and I've been meaning to get into this, is uh, the Dreamcast actually has a very active online community uh dreamcast surfers have been long since gone yeah. but you can buy hardware to effectively um mimic the 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 old dream the old sega servers yeah and then connect just normally over the internet with people and play your online enabled yeah, that's games pretty cool they've so, got the, the same thing uh my brother was playing um the original demon souls the ps3 one they they shut down the servers recently like a year ago or something like that and yeah there's a homebrew one he, he was he's been playing that on uh, emulator which is pretty cool i i think and, and intoxication notes yeah like the, the community will always care more and keep games alive longer than the publishers will yeah. yes but i like if I, my point was more is it does depend on the game so we're talking about games as a service you know players are important to that too which is and the reason i use halo 3 as examples no one's playing on the halo 3 service nobody i don't want to say nobody but i do know people who have said i want to try and do it and the matchmaking is terrible now why because halo 5 and master chief collection have long since superseded in fact on master chief collection now that matchmaking is working properly you can go ahead and just play the same halo 3 maps right there right mm -hmm. so you know it, it, it's my back. My original point to this whole thing is that when you buy an online game, and I don't know if this translates into you know, using servers like Stadia or not yet. I think the verdict is still out. On you buy an online game, you know what you're getting yourself into. You yeah, know yeah, that exactly. that game, if you buy it for a high price tag, that it's a fleeting experience. It's time it's, limited. It, yeah, yeah, and it might not be because of the publishers. It might be because of the gamers. It might be the other way around. So, so I wanted, um, if I may. <laughs> you may direct this conversation um into the past Back in uh, time. <laughs> i just i i i end up going down a bit of a rabbit hole here with the with the streaming services and uh i found i learned some some interesting things so um, oh, shouldn't we know, talking about Seganet? <laughs> well maybe maybe we will <laughs> right now we're talking about stadia we've got stadia we've got ps now um uh the xbox one which is called x Project X Cloud, which is it's, currently in beta. It's now just rolled into Game Pass. Um, yeah, which is cool. Um, and uh, I'm not surprised at all that they're that they're doing that. Um, but yeah, before all of that, you guys mentioned on live. That was the first one that I remember. Um, that was like the big um, broadband streaming game thing. I remember hearing about it, thinking it was 
cool idea and that probably would be terrible in practice, <laughs> which is not too different from how I feel about these things now. But anyway, um, yeah, so we had on, on live uh, that, that started back in um, 2009, was it? Uh, yeah, uh, 2009. Something like that. Until Sony purchased them and then stole their technology and shut them down. Um, Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, what's interesting is actually let me let's go even further back than that. So um, before on live, uh, we had you mentioned Saganet. Yeah, and that was around for the that was the Saturn, right? No, that was the Genesis one. There was a Mega Drive in Genesis. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, so you had you had Saganet, and then if you were in North America, like us, you also had the Sega Channel. Oh, sorry, that's the one I was thinking of. Was Sega Channel? I yeah, think it was so Sega Net in one of the other regions. That was overseas. I think it was Japan with Sega okay. Net. But yeah, we had the Sega Channel. Now, um, this is it's not strictly a streaming <clears throat> service because you were not streaming the gameplay directly, you know, uh, from a server to your to your TV and you were not streaming the inputs from your controller back to the server. Um, but it's pretty close. Uh, and this was back, this was like before anyone had the internet at, at home, really. It was, came out in 1993 um, and it worked by plugging a coax cable from your cable provider into the back of a cartridge. That, and then the cartridge went into your Genesis. Um, and uh, the cartridge had uh, four megabyte, uh, four megabytes of RAM on it, where that you had to download the game onto. It would store the entire game in memory, uh, and then you'd play the game that way. And then when you were done, it's gone. Um, and yeah, you you had to re-download it every time that you started up the system. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's like really you, shitty backwards streaming. They actually had like it was actually it. Okay, it did not. It was not nearly as successful as Sega anticipated, um, but it did, it did okay. Like they had, um, they had up to two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers at its peak, oh, um, which is not nothing. Uh, and the it cost fifteen dollars US per month. That was a lot uh, for back then, which is actually. a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, they all kind of. All those the ones after that, like on live was ten dollars a month. Um, Game Pass is ten dollars a month for the base level. Um, PS Now I think is about the same. Stadia is the same. It's ten dollars a month. They, they've kind of kind of leveled out at that. Um, but yeah, that was Sega Channel. And uh, another really interesting thing that I learned about Sega Channel is that because they were distributing it with uh, through cable TV providers. Um, they learned that they they had to clean up the signals in order for this to work properly. So they required all of the cable providers that they were using to clean their broadband signals, um, which uh, is sometimes touted with contributing to uh, touted as con having contributed to the um, ubiquity uh, and availability of broadband internet. It, or at least it was a step in that direction because now they had all these super fast, clean signals that they could just use for that. So 
uh, yeah, like possibly, you know, Sega <laughs> gave us a helping hand in giving us all broadband internet. Thanks, uh, Sega. Through the 90s. Sega does what Nintendo. Well, uh, Nintendo go. did it too, though. We're talking Satellaview. We're talking Satellaview. Yep. So uh, that, let's let's keep going back. We got or no, Satellaview actually came later. I think but. it came later. Yeah, it worked differently. That one actually was streaming. The long lost Legend of Zelda game. Yeah. So Satellaview was it was interesting because this was only in Japan. It was for the Super Nintendo, um, but it was uh, it was streamed over satellites and it had kind of a live broadcast nature, where you had to tune in at the right time to play a certain game. Um, yep. yep. And uh, yes, uh, Intoxication is asking in chat, did it have live Zelda competitions? It had, uh, actually, I don't know if it had competitions. It wasn't competitions so much. It no, was, it, it, had, it had competitions. Was it? I, are we talking yeah, ancient, ancient stone tablets, though? Because that's the one I know. It, it, it had, had competitions a, for uh, a variety. I've got the Wikipedia page open right now. Um, it had for uh, a fishing game, a uh, a golf game it had uh it, it keeps going on, on all these sports games mostly but uh the, there were a lot of of these games that got little competitions and they gave out prizes for them um people were reward, yeah people were awarded with special prizes it's interesting yeah. that like um you can see the evolution from that to what they do now with Super Mario 35 and with Tetris 99, where it's like, hey, this weekend, you know, you play a whole go online, play a whole bunch of this game. And if you get a certain amount of points or whatever, we'll give you like some free digital content. It's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. In that Actually, way. you can win money from that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, occasionally they, they give away uh, my Nintendo gold points. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty much which money is just, for the eShop. It's, it's straight up money you can spend in the eShop. Yeah. Um, so let's go back even further than than those ones, though. This is something I did not even know existed until a couple nights ago when I was just looking up stuff on on uh, Wikipedia on YouTube, and I stumbled across <clears throat> um, the Famicom Network System, the Family Computer Network System. This was the first home video game console modem. Uh, it was an attachment for the Famicom disk system in Japan only. Uh, it came out in 1988. Oh, Nintendo, leading innovation once again. The internet did not even exist. The, you could not, there was no consumer, modern consumer internet at that time. But you could plug your phone line into this thing um, and uh, you could it had like a bunch of games, if you could call them that, um, that you could play on it. So it did, um, you could download uh, game cheats. You could look at uh, game cheats. Um, you could look at weather forecasts. And interestingly, one of the main things that it came with was an application for live betting on horse races. Okay, wow. so this is the thing I thought it was. I was waiting for you to get to it. I was yeah. like, this is, this is the horse betting. They had to yeah. live in 1988. <laughs> And and you could do live stock trading. As that well. was the other part was that there was a financial <clears throat> transactions uh, device. <laughs> so this this was in the 1980s. Uh, you could get this thing on your Nintendo, and you could do live stock trades. 
Oh man. From your from your Famicom system. This thing sold 130,000 units in Japan. Um which is again, not a ton, but there there are legitimate game consoles that have not sold <laughs> And I mean you're talking it was it was effectively region locked. I mean, they only sold it in one small part of the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to to give perspective, um the NES sold a uh, grand total of 19.3 million units in Japan um and 130,000 of these uh modems so it's not a, now it's not a ton but it's still like I, that's that's pretty crazy I'm, I, I'm sure the modem is probably region locked but the 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 disk system itself was not you can plug those into a as long as you've got a cart converter you can plug those into a top loader nes and they work just fine sure oh really yeah that's pretty cool yeah Oh, so streaming services really aren't all that new, I guess. Today, yeah, I, I mean, some of these, some of these, I don't know if you could really call them streaming services, but it's certainly um, the precursor to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I did uh, to bring us back to uh, 2021, though. Um, I did have a bit more to say about Stadia. Uh, so, as I said, I did try it myself. I was pretty impressed with with how it performed. I tried. I tried playing some uh, Destiny 2 on there, which is probably one of the more um, demanding games that right. they have. And uh, I got to say, and, and it's a game that I've played, like downloaded, had downloaded on my PC and played. And I got to say, I could hardly tell the difference. Like, uh, no noticeable lag whatsoever. I was pretty impressed with that. The graphics look pretty good, except there's a certain sort of like, compressed quality to it um sort of like you're watching it's like you're watching a youtube video of somebody playing <laughs> destiny 2 if you know what i mean um yeah I, I i do it's i don't know how to put it grainy you yeah you you just you sometimes get especially when things get really dark on the screen you get some of these compression uh, artifacts like you know things turning into like squares and stuff like that but um uh and then I tried. Uh, I also tried. Um, what's it called? Steam Steam World's Quest, the card Is that RPG. The RPG. Yeah, because I wanted to try a game that was. Uh, that's also a game that I've played on the Switch, and it's. But it's also a game that, um, you know, it isn't like an action game where every input matters, and uh, that was a really pleasant experience. I think like if you're more into playing games like that. Stadia could totally work. Uh, again, with the caveat that you have to always have an internet connection. It has to be relatively stable. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, I was pretty impressed with it. I think the biggest downside with it right now is just it needs more games. And Stadia's got some bad press associated with it, which is yeah. probably holding it back. And mm -hmm. it's possible, like, you know, the library that you were mentioning, lack of games, Microsoft's got that right now. So it you know the game pass and they're slow walking game pass cloud stuff so um once it hits pc we'll see that's what we're going to see yeah so i I've, I've got kind of two thoughts about what we just went over but and one of them will i think transition into uh the tech that i want to talk about but uh just kind of in the the proto streaming services uh are you guys familiar with the nintendo power cartridge i've heard no. of it so Nintendo put out officially licensed flash cartridges in Japan back on the uh, Super Nintendo and the Game Boy. 
And the deal with these is that you took them into a loss and convenience store in Japan, and there would be a kiosk there. And you could effectively program onto one of the the ROM slots within the 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 cartridge one of a selectable number of games and the games shuffled through monthly or every few months. And so you could be like, oh, I'm going to pick up this exclusive title or this game that otherwise would be a, a standard cartridge and you could do it for a discounted rate. Um, the, the whole thing wasn't a service, but the, the cartridge was discounted and the games were discounted. So the way that people use them was very much like how we were referring to the usage of streaming services as sort of demo platforms. Mm for for games because you'd be like oh i want to play the super nintendo game it's only the equivalent of ten dollars i have a 25 dollar uh nintendo nintendo power cartridge let's try out f-zero let's try and you could always just go overwrite one of these these um these games but like i said there were actually exclusives on this platform as well so like there were I don't know if it's one or two of the Fire Emblem games are exclusive to this platform and have never seen other re-release. Not yet. Um, there was a... And, and uh, the Satellaview the actually had some exclusive games as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, exclusive sequels to games that we we never saw anywhere Agent else. Agent Stone tablets. See, you, you were right. F-Zero 2. Distribution is evil. F-Zero 2 was a, a, a BS exclusive. Um, and so that ties in kind of into my next topic, which is how do you make it a technology stick? Um, so the two texts I want to talk about right now are augmented reality and virtual reality. So what's the difference first? Let's start. There. Okay. So uh, virtual reality is you look at a headset or a screen and you are placed within a world. You can look around in real time and, your motions in real life uh, equate to the motions that happen in the virtual world. Uh, augmented reality is you look at a, a device and you see uh, a, a digital object or creature or something placed on top of uh, on top of video or an image of our existing reality like pokemon, pokemon goes for example. right okay so so i was going i was going to say throw out some 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 uh games that are in those spaces and we'll see how many we can come up with that nintendo 3ds shipped with augmented reality cards it did oh yeah and it was not right. the only use of it on the system no, but but i still have those cards somewhere you get mario walking uh, around your desk yeah so so okay uh, the, the 3DS demo software used a lot of it. Uh, Kid Icarus used um, Kid Icarus Uprising had augmented reality. Uh, obviously, Niantic's Pokemon Go is the big one that we can all point to. Pokemon Dream Radar. Pokemon Dream Radar. Now you're just making up games. No, that that was a that was a it, like very small downloadable title that got you some exclusive legendary Pokemon in the. Just forms. just forms it was yeah, just forms it gave you the exclusives of three of the legendary forms yes um and it was the only way to get them um uh obviously niantic's other games which all use the same um i'm trying to think of what the the name of the game that they the harry potter one was no oh. no before before uh yeah before i know Pokemon the one go they had a game about. that hold on a second 
Atlantic. Uh, their first game was their first one was Ingress. That's it. Yeah. And Ingress effectively was or is a game that was mostly reused in the making of Pokemon Go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, I think the three of us have all played some Pokemon Go at some point in its oh, yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Um, how how much have you played with the augmented reality features in that game? I turned them off after uh, the first two hours I played that game when it first came out in the summer. But back then, it wasn't because I didn't think it was cool. It was, it was the battery. Um, yep. You know, what summer did it come out? What, four years ago? Five years ago now? Something um, like that. You know, Jeez, my old it. iPhone batteries, you know, they, they don't last that well. And when I was, you know, taking a walk for an hour and I went down 40% in battery, it was, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Frostbite, similar situation? I tried it I, uh, when it first came out and I only played the game for like a couple weeks, probably. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so I probably played go the longest of the three of us. Okay. Because uh, I, I played for a long time. Um, I've, I know people who still play actively oh, yeah. regularly, even in COVID. Um, but the, the gameplay is actually very different if you're playing with the augmented reality features. Um, Things are a lot more geo pinpointed for uh, for Pokemon locations. Not always in a way that made the game accessible to people, but the interesting thing about AR is that it's effectively ubiquitous in in cell phone technology now. Um, so, a developer can make a an augmented reality game and know that most people, if not everybody, are going to have the tech required to get in um that's thanks to pokemon go no i think that was a natural um built up back and forth between apple and google uh sorry between apple and android mm-hmm. um that resulted in that technology becoming kind of built into every every camera uh that was shipped out to to um smartphone manufacturers um but We'll get back to that in a second because it's a barrier to entry that VR hasn't figured out, uh, which <laughs> is that, I, to my knowledge, none of us own VR equipment. Yeah, maybe maybe one no. thing. It's yeah for me, it's a cost thing. I mean, it's it's really hard to justify it's exactly a five hundred dollar price tag for what Half Life Alex. <laughs> right. Okay. So so VR. I think between the three of us, we can probably come up with a small handful of games that we know people rave about on VR. Beat Saber uh, is the other one. Beat Saber. I, so ha- uh, have you guys, have you guys Astro played? Astrobot's Playroom. Have you guys played on a modern VR platform? I've tried them, yeah. I've, I wouldn't say, but you, mean, you had to find play like 15 minutes. It's probably the longest I've ever had a headset on. And I've never yeah. had enough experience to see if it's going to mess with my head, which wouldn't be surprised. I went to uh, one of those uh, like gaming uh play i don't know one of those like vr places where you can go and you pay to play by the hour or by the it's actually by like 15 pay per 15 minutes or something i think went to those with uh some friends one time for a little uh, birthday shindig and it was pretty fun they had um oh which one was it i want to say it was the vive i think the um, htc vive yeah they had a bunch of those set up and we played uh they had I saw some people playing Beat Saber. I mostly played Super Hot, so that's one that okay, I'm aware yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. So oh, Skyrim VR. Uh, cool. 
So I my my minimal experience was with an Oculus Rift back when they were first getting started. It was a beta kit. Um I I think it was at a a uh a, a student games convention here in, in Toronto, um a student developed games um convention. So like I got to test some some games that were in development for the platform. The the problem that that I think the the platforms have first of all there's no um there's no consistency between the bunch of them so features that are in one headset and their controllers may not be consistent to the next ones um and games are not always compatible between various headsets but obviously the cost of entry is is high and because the nobody can get into these platforms at a cost effective level uh nobody's focusing their development solely on vr as the future um i remember when when these te- technologies were first really being pitched as kind of like oh yeah you know sony's really going all in on psvr and you know you would get like state of plays that they put out and it was all vr shit <laughs> But nobody's buying a PS4 and PSVR, like, and making that the normal setup for a PlayStation owner. Yeah. So Sony's never going to say, you know, all future games from these publishers are going to be VR only. And wouldn't you really like to play the next Uncharted? Right. Like, yeah, that that's whereas, an argument that I've had with various um, VR proponents is like. Yeah, VR is cool, you know, if the technology gets there where it works really well and it's affordable, but you're never going to get all games. You can't play all games on VR. It just doesn't and make sense. Exactly. And we were talking about uh, the the Famicom Disk System before. That was considered successful by Nintendo because they said all future big installments from Nintendo are coming out on the disc system. They will not be coming to cartridge. Right. And so, so everyone, wow. bought, everyone so everyone bought or lots of people bought in and yeah. everyone owned Famicoms already. So that they were mm-hmm. able to say, okay, Mario two is coming to disc system. Zelda is coming to disc system. Zelda two is coming to disc system. Metroid is coming to disc system. Uh, you know, like you look at the disc system library and we got them all in cartridges here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're all disc system games there. All right. of them. And, uh, and so, you have to make that kind of commitment to say, you know, this is the next big thing, and here's how we're showing it. But I, I really we're sitting here. Time's going to tell on this one. We don't have the answer. But is it the next big thing? You no, know, we we spoke about the innovations that have been successful, why they were successful, but also the ones that weren't. And we're sitting here with VR. I think we're on. The, yeah here is is it going to really take off and this is like been... the third time that that the gaming the game industry has tried to make vr a thing and i just feel like it gets a little closer every time i'm still not sure this is the one it's, it's I, I can't get over the fact that it will it's this time it's got staying power but it's too niche right yeah you know when it's you look at it I, I can come up with two titles that people say are spectacular and I truly mean spectacular VR-only titles. Resident Evil 7. No, it's not a VR-only title. No, right? it's not a VR-only no. title. So 
but I, it's I the said, game that I'm told you have to play on VR. Mm, mm. No, but I, I'm mentioning, right? We have to say what's going to have this have yeah. staying power. You mentioned already, it has to be exclusive, right? We have to have, why are you going to buy this thing? There are two. There are two. And it's not Resident Evil 7. The one that I'm being told now you have to play Half-Life. is Half-Life Alex. Yeah. The other one being Beat Saber. Um, two very <laughs> different experiences. But as far as, you know, the one that you have, like, you really want to understand what VR could do, it's Half-Life Alex. I, it, it's, you know, we, we, we did the Game Awards. It was just like a no-brainer. What's going to be the best VR game this year? It's going to be Half-Life. Like, it was, yeah. it was a no-brainer. So, but, you know, you know, you mentioned, and, you know, Oculus Rift first hit the market six years ago, whatever it was. PSVR is already three or four years old. I, I came up with two must-play exclusive VR titles. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I and I brought up uh, Astro Astrobot's Playroom, which was the 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 big VR game for uh, for PSVR. And like people told me, like that is an excellent use of VR tech, right? But are you gonna are you gonna really gonna jump in on PSVR because of Astrobot's Playroom? No more than you're gonna yeah. buy a PS5 just for Astro's Playroom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. So. Uh, I may be getting the, the name of the game wrong. I thought it was Astrobot's Playroom. I, I may be confusing it with the PS5. The game. new one is Astro's yeah. Playroom. I do Astro's not Playroom. Okay, so the, so the, you know it was Astrobot something. Astro, um, I'm looking at. Uh, I I remember like every Rescue time I heard mission? about PS. What was That's that? Astrobot Rescue Mission. That might have been it. Um, and that was the introduction of that character, and they're like, it's going to be a thing, and apparently the devs did a great job with it. But, you know, again, ent- the, the price of entry for PSVR is steep. Um, for a tech demo. For, for what effectively was a tech demo. Um, you and know, I think most VR games <laughs> if you are ask tech, me, demos. Well, that's what I, tech demos. But that's right? what I've heard it, about Half-Life Alex is that it's actually not. That it's a full-fledged yeah. game and it's apparently yeah. spectacular. Intoxication brings up a great point, though, in chat. You know, that successful tech works when it's big ways to socialize. You know, we could say that's why the Wii worked so well, right? Wii Sports. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, cool. But, so I, I was hoping that we would get back to this, though, because I, I said we would get back to Pokemon Go for a second here. So mm-hmm. why does augmented reality not, not work then? Because it, it's, it's a great way to socialize, right? It's not necessary. It does not make the experience. It will never make the experience. I, uh, I work. Yeah, it's like I, you when you asked about how much did we actually use the AR feature on Pokemon Go, and a lot of people just end up turning it off. So yeah, and then like, in that like way, it's I, like the AR is a, is a is an optional component of the game. Basically, the, the biggest AR tech demo I remember seeing in the past couple of years was Minecraft. Uh, yeah, when Microsoft was demoing the HoloLens. With, with HoloLens, they right. they they shut that down. They did. Yep. Uh, so I have some experience dealing with augmented reality because I work in the tourism industry. And so that's obviously a, a thing that is constantly being considered for, you know, historical purposes. And uh, even there, that there's kind of this recognition, like if it isn't the thing that sells the experience, it is not worth having. Uh, and augmented reality is often pitched as this, you know, it is the the antithesis to VR. So 
where VR is great, you know, AR is not great. Where AR is great, VR stumbles. Um, and in theory, they should be able to make AR an interesting game. But it's just not a, a technology that that we've found that use for yet. I think AR... But, but gaming is so focused on it in certain areas. And we talked about the 3DS. Like, the 3DS, almost all of the, the, the tech demo software uses the augmented reality in some way, shape, or form. Right. Now, I think augmented reality is cool technology, but I don't think it's applicable to gaming. I think it has a lot of real-world applications in terms of things like, um, you know, research tools, medicine, and things like that. But, you know, for, for gaming, I think you, you said it right there. Nobody cares. Nobody wants it. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> All right. So that, that kind of leads into where I wanted to go with this because those two are great examples of where tech fails. But uh, what about when, when the technology is the reason that an entire style of gaming comes into existence? Um, so I've got two really good examples of kind of genre-making uh, technologies. Um, the first is texture mapping on 3D surfaces. Uh, not sure if you're familiar with this, but the effectively the reason that the first-person shooter exists is because of this technology. Um, Which the software, texture mapping is basically the um, taking a, a polygon shape and wrapping an image around it around to give it, it texture. Right. Um, so kid <clears throat> software realized that they could do this and make rooms and hallways out of them. Mm. And they went on to create first person shooters using this, this technology, um, which, you know, for the longest time, everything was called a doom clone. But, you know, if we look at the origins of all this without that technology and without their, their realization as to what they could do with the, the tech, we wouldn't have first person shooters. Um, and the other one that I came up with in my my research is uh, without the the technology that Nintendo built into the Super Nintendo Mode Seven, which was the the functionality that let them uh, rotate okay. one of their their graphical layers. Um, without that, we wouldn't have the kart racer. Right. Which, and interestingly, the technology of car racers hasn't changed in Super Nintendo. It, it hasn't. It hasn't. But the the whole uh, genre was built upon, oh, well, we can just, you know, have your little sprite bouncing in place and without it, and, and then just rotate the map underneath you. Um, and without that, you know, you wouldn't get the original Mario Kart, which wouldn't bring you any of the other you know, non-real. Like there, there, there's really two genres of racers, right? There's like arcade racing games, uh, and then there's kart racers, arcade kart or uh, like party kart racers. And without Mode Seven, you wouldn't get the latter. Um, so I was curious if you have any that come to mind other technologies that have resulted in whole genres um well actually one that i thought of while you were talking there that i thought you might mention i don't know if this really counts as a unique sort of technology but it comes to my mind anyway as far as sort of genre defining things is um uh rhythm games you've got like the ddr dance pad you've got 
the guitar hero guitars like stuff like that those are specific peripherals that spawned a super i mean it's not so much anymore but for it was a fad thing but it lasted several years anyway or these games were like super popular i mean and those started primarily in arcades right like uh mm-hmm. guitar guitar hero was a guitar freaks clone that's right guitar guitar freaks was konami i think and they all really so. came from ddr right like yeah, yeah ddr was in arcades too yeah yep you know pop and music and pretty much all of the the rhythm games game got their origins in arcades where you know flashy lights and and uh controller shaped like objects you might interact with as if they were their their real world counterparts, yeah. um, you know, make and break an arcade game. I, you, um, you mentioned technology that spawned a genre, but how about technology that spawned the future? Um, I'm going to argue ooh. that if it weren't for Nintendo, maybe somebody else would have come along, and, but Nintendo's analog stick on Nintendo 64, if that did not exist, what would have happened, right? Mario 64 was considered such a mind-blowing experience and i wouldn't say it spawned a genre i mean sure maybe 3d platformers but um you know you the control that you had mario and mario 64 is considered like not, like nothing else before right yeah it was revolutionary revolutionary I'm now sure you had sega saturn and playstation that had come first technically and they had 3d games but like compare crash bandicoot for a moment to mario 64 right it's not the same. And, you know, ABC, you're mentioning we've had first-person shooters without texture mapping. You know, would we have first-person shooters if it wasn't for Super Mario 64? There's something to think about. <laughs> well, well, so, if you're going to bring up uh, Crash, you should bring up Sega's effective entry into into the 3D platformer-ish uh, genre at the time, which would have been Nights into Dreams. And their whole integration of of 3D, even though they had an analog stick on the 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 Saturn's 3D pad, which was built for Knights, barely used it. Um, but three completely different interpretations of how 3D gaming was going to go, and three completely different controller schemes for uh for those types of games. Um, yep. And now we're all sort of standard on this kind of control style. Everybody does it. Yeah. It works. <laughs> Every modern controller has some sort of variation of that. So, um, I mean, as far as genre-defining uh, technologies go, like you, you brought up uh, texture mapping with first-person shooters, but I think even more importantly, if, even more important for, for uh, first-person shooters... Uh, we could bring it back to the internet, but not just the internet itself, but specifically, um, I think it was John Carmack uh, was was the coder for for Quake. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that guy did that guy is a friggin genius. And he did some really crazy things to make that game work uh, as an online multiplayer game like. Um, uh, without. Without his work on that game, like you know, first-person shooters would not be what they were today. And it's not just the the graphics; it's the it's the uh, netcode, for lack of a better term. Um, and it, like uh, 
things that are still used today, like interpolating, which is basically um, in a way sort of like guessing what the player is going to do next and then just kind of correcting it as we go, um, enabled things to just move much smoother uh, without the player really noticing what was going on. So like stuff like that. Um, uh, and uh, we're getting some suggestions in chat as well. Oh, yeah, that's scrolling. Platform games needed scrolling. That was actually like um, before the NES came out, there weren't that many games that had like a scrolling screen it's, that you would run and jump yeah. through. It it's not just like the scroll. Static. It's actually the way that they do the scroll with the window. I don't know if you guys actually understand how the NES and the Game Boy uh, did their, uh, their, how they draw the screen and keep it static while also keeping it moving. Um, and it basically draws the screen layers, um, which is actually quite interesting if you if you understand how the scan lines and all that stuff work, right? So, um, uh, yep, you know you have the Game Boy is a really great example. Um, the Game Boy, you know, screen is actually this wide, but we actually have data in memory for a screen this wide, uh, and it draws line by line, and it decides background first, and then it decides uh, sprite next, and window last so you see you know your score your your mm -hmm. your items i actually find this technology really cooling and it's like core to emulation development when you're looking at how to how to understand how these screens work and you know you have to figure out which pixel has the highest priority and that's how it works it's really really cool and you have to keep things you know you keep things moving you know pulling in from the screen you can't even see i like that scrolling stuff it's interesting yeah uh so go. just kind of because he mentioned it, Intoxications mentioned that Carmack worked on uh, PC scrolling. Um, are you, I don't know if either oh, of you are okay. familiar with the with the the prototype that they put together prior to. That's right. On... Yeah, I think that that was in that that Netflix documentary, wasn't it? Uh, it was. Although I think I knew about it prior to that, uh, which is that you know he recreated Super Mario Brothers three on PC. Uh, in on PC, yeah. and uh, it's not the first time that Mario had been on. A PC platform, but uh, it was the first. It was the first. What? What was that? I said Mario was missing. Oh no, no, no! no I mean, like later. Super Mario Brothers special for the the uh, sharp. Uh, what was it? the the X sixty eight thousand or something like that? Um, Hudson made that game. They had a license through Nintendo to make it for a PC mm. platform, okay. and it had scrolling akin to the Legend of Zelda when you move from one screen to the next. Right. Um, so like you wouldn't have the same kind of scrolling that people were used to with Mario games. Um, it just wasn't a known thing for, for PCs to be able to do. Right. And Carmack effectively figured it out, uh, in an attempt to get Nintendo to license a port of Super Mario 3 to, to PCs. And in typical uh, Nintendo fashion, that did not happen, yeah, but <laughs> did not happen. Um, <laughs> They said, oh, oh, yeah, it's cool. No. <laughs> you know, what, what you were talking about, technology that pushed forward, you know, the first-person shooter genre. And we never, we, did, we didn't talk about GoldenEye. Um, and we didn't talk about what GoldenEye did with AI. Um, which was, you know, before GoldenEye. Tell, tell Natalia to stand in front of your bullets? Not that AI. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, first-person shooters, they generally reacted to what you did, right? So you can take it back to Doom, right, as you move through and, you you know, the, the enemies had very specific patterns 
and you know if you moved and you know what i mean like it, it was very crude whereas in goldeneye you know they they reacted to you very differently it was the first real um it, I, I don't want to say sophisticated because you know today we have so much more sophisticated ai in games like that but it, it was really interesting how they managed to do that where you know the enemies would see you and then they would react right or yeah if you, if you shot them or you know they heard a bullet right like shot but miss they would react to that as well that's right or, yeah you yeah. know and people remember they weren't Golden just Knight. like they weren't just in a room waiting for you to open the door so they could run and, and shoot you exactly they would, they would actually like that they, they had they were they could be not even aware of your presence yet until you made too much noise or... Ste- that's where st- stealth came in and people remember yeah. goldeneye as you know this nostalgic you know glasses thing where they look at it and they're like well it doesn't play that well today and I don't know why I used to like it so much. The multiplayer was fun, but really it was so well regarded because of what it did technically under the hood. That the programming in Goldeneye was miraculous for the time. Yeah, I think I watched uh, I bet you watched the same one. I watched a, a lengthy uh, YouTube video about the development of Goldeneye recently. Yeah. Um, where that. they talked about some of this stuff. Uh what's the guy's name again? Oh, it came up on a shuffle a while ago. Okay. Yeah, I can't recall right now. I can't think of his name, but anyway, yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. They they definitely did some cool stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh. One more. Uh. One more piece of uh, tech that I that I wanted to talk about, but uh, we it didn't really we didn't really get to. And this is like, um, current and future sort of technology. Uh, now that we're talking about here, is the cloud, cloud processing. Um, it's one of those things that you don't really see when you're playing a game, mm-hmm. but what they, what it's doing is really cool. And I think that this is going to be, uh, it's going to be a big thing going forward, I think. Um, so Microsoft, no surprise, is at the forefront of this kind of stuff. Cause I mean, Microsoft is a software developer first and they're known for their, their Azure, uh, their Azure servers, their Azure uh, architecture. So a um, couple of really cool examples of this. Um, I mentioned I was, I've been playing Sea of Thieves lately. Um, so Sea of Thieves runs on Azure. And, um, you know, server, server-based games are nothing new. Um, what's interesting about Sea of Thieves is that it has dynamic servers. So they have an, any number of servers um, all around the world that are always online 24-7. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm starting a game with my friends. We create a, a lobby. Uh, we, it jumps into a server, and then when we leave, that server shuts down. These servers are always on, um, and they're being dynamically created or shut down as needed, depending on the number of players that are active in any region. Um, and they're also shuffling players between servers dynamically to make sure that we always uh, basically they've designed the game around a certain amount of uh, player interaction so they want you to have an interaction with another group of players every i think they say like 20 minutes or something like that right so if they find that like okay this server uh only has two groups of players on it we're going to move these two groups of players onto this other server um so they're able to do that uh with their servers and they're able to do it in a way that it does not affect what's going on for those players at all. I've seen it happen in the game. Basically what happens is 
um, a little poem pops up on your screen that says like, oh, the seas are changing, blah, 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 blah. And that means you're being shuffled to another server. And it takes like a few seconds and then you're back in the game and nothing around you has changed. The, the weather around you, uh, the items that are on the island that you're on, like it all, it all gets migrated dynamically from the server you were on to the server that you're going to. Um, and yeah, like that's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff. I think, um, another really, oh, they can also, they also do, I mean, this is pretty common nowadays with software in general, but they do, they are also able to do uh rolling server updates. So what that means is they fix a bug, they push it out to the servers. Um, they restart. Okay. The, this server is empty. Restart that one. And now migrate some players onto that new server. And now we can restart that one that they were on before. So they're able to restart and upgrade all their servers, uh, you know, over the course of time without it and, affecting and not anyone be, have people on your notice. That's, that's really cool. Um, another really cool example of, of uh, cloud processing that is, again, it's Microsoft is um, the Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Oh, yeah. And if, if you guys haven't seen it, there's a short documentary on YouTube about it which is really cool what they're doing. Like basically um, they've recreated the entire map of, of the earth um, using AI, uh, machine learning AI and satellite photographs. So using AI, they're able to feed photogra satellite photographs into their software onto their servers. And um, it looks at a photo and it knows, oh, these are trees. Uh, but not just, not just that they're trees, but that they're, a specific type of tree or maybe because they're in a specific part of the world and they're a specific color um and basically they're able to populate the entire world and using 3d objects buildings um cars trees water everything um just by just using this ai and feeding it satellite photographs they can do they can do all of that and what's cool is your game on your machine whether it's your xbox or your pc your game is not doing that your game is not responsible because the amount of processing that would take is just impossible on a consumer pc they, they've basically got a cluster of servers cloud-based servers that are doing all of this processing up keeping the world up to date um even feeding live weather information back to your game um so half of the the, the game is half running on your computer and half running on these servers and right. they're just feeding you live data back to your game. And um, I mean, yeah, cool. I think like stuff like this is like, there's so much you could do with that. And I think that's going to be, that's going to be uh, a big thing going forward. I think with, the coolest with part like about, that. coolest part about that is that people won't even notice it. It's just when it, it's yeah. more, it's not even going to be exactly. like the forefront of your game. Cause like, let's be honest, the world is going to start running saying, on, cl yeah. on the cloud, but it's, going to drive it forward in a way that most people would never even understand and i think that yeah. is super cool um we, we gotta see how that's gonna play out in the next 10 years i think but yeah i, I haven't had a chance to play flights flight simulator do you, do you even play flight simulator or you just <laughs> i haven't like I, I, after i watched you become that, one with flight simulator yeah a, fr <laughs> a friend of mine uh recommended that short documentary to me and i watched it and immediately it was like i gotta play this game <laughs> <laughs> goes to download flight simulator on game pass it yeah, is on game so. pass so yeah i think um i've been actually been meaning to download it on there it is a very large game i might need to make some space but uh, gotta get that new hard drive yeah, yeah i just did that <laughs> 
specifically for flights flight simulator, right? Yeah, yeah that's um, why you get you get a three terabyte yeah. drive just so you can play flight simulator. Yeah, two, two terabytes. Two terabytes. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, going back to what you just said though about the being in the forefront versus the kind of a an unseen un you know unheard unacknowledged element of games do you have do you guys personally have a preference as to whether that tech is visibly at the forefront of of games going forward like what do you mean well the examples that i gave were things where like they were almost revolutionary in nature and so you saw them and and you were like, this is the future of gaming. But you knew it because you like there were there were things that you yeah. saw and you're like, nothing before this was doable like this. I don't think uh, you have to know that it's there for it to really make an impact. Now it's cool when you do, but like l- like knowing about about the cloud computing involved here is awesome. Or the cloud processing or whatever the, the terminology was mm-hmm. is great. Like it's super cool to know that that's how that's working. And like I will certainly appreciate it going forward. But like you know, I think the second one I mentioned was Mode 7, right? The first time I played something like F-Zero and I watched the, the world spin down into, yeah. the, into the, the shot behind the Blue Falcon. And it was like, has, have I ever seen a game do something like this before? Yeah, you definitely notice it. Yeah. And like, you know, as, as the Super Nintendo went on, you got things like... Uh, developers adding additional hardware chips to their to their games to allow for wireframe movements and uh you know eventually you got th- things like the super fx which allowed for for 3d elements to be rotated um i, I think it's and, more you don't necessarily notice the technology when you're seeing it right like when you saw f-zero you said when have i ever seen this before but you didn't really know what it was necessarily the first time Seems i didn't something... know what it was but i knew that that was something that was not previously possible right so mm-hmm. you might not understand what the technology is but to see what's possible i guess that's really what we kind of are well, well so that's why i said like do you do you care if it's the forefront do you care if like you notice it versus uh something where it, it it's in the background and it does amazing things but you're not you you don't know that it's something new and you don't know that it's something <laughs> I think that if it's revolutionary, I think that if it's making my experience more positive, it doesn't matter if it's at the forefront or not. Yeah. Um, I think that's really what it comes down to. Would I have known? <laughs> yeah, would I have known playing Flight Simulator um, or experiencing Flight Simulator rather? Um, would I have known that the cloud was powering that game? Probably, probably not. Not unless I had looked that up. But mm-hmm. I would have looked at this and said, you know, the fact that I can, I feel like I'm in this world truly in integrated this world. I've never felt that before. A real world recreated in a game. I've never felt that. And you know, I I feeling that alone, I think that's enough to say this is good. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a a control stick touching your, your thumb to be uh to feel special, right? <laughs> yeah. You can tell. Yeah. So you know we we, we covered a lot here, you know got some stuff coming on chat right now um a, a lot of really great technology we, we, we only scratched the surface here we, we really can't cover two two hours here um but you know we do hope that you guys will you know drop us comments on twitter uh youtube uh pop, please pop on the discord we'd love to hear these conversations in discord because we have so many things to talk about that we just don't have time to do 
uh, there's a whole channel for talking about the about the podcast. Absolutely. So you know, if you're if you're not there yet, please come in and we'll talk you off, and you'll probably get sick of us and leave, but that's okay. <laughs> um, come come suggest topics for us as well if you want to to hear us, you know, ramble on about a specific topic. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Yeah, yeah we've been we were talking about maybe doing a, a game franchise, doing like a close look, uh, retrospective look at at a certain game franchise, you know, just doing a whole episode on one game franchise. So you guys got any, any ideas for that? We'd love to hear it as well. For sure. Um, we have lots of, you know, fun podcasts potentially planned for you guys. Um, lots of other content as well. If you missed our Sonic the Hedgehog 2 race. The bot is on Twitch still. You can go check that oh, out. Oh, no. <laughs> um, which is really an embarrassing, embarrassing race for a couple of us. Not, not, for, us, not for us, but... <laughs> um but we'll be doing some more stuff like that here as well with totally average gamers um i i I really do want to thank everybody um for coming to listen to debt tonight uh you know you will be able to you know download this um this episode very soon on anchor it will be up on youtube uh you'll be able to catch the bod right this on twitch as well for a a time twitch (laughs) um so uh again thank you so much for everyone who's following us uh if you haven't yet dropped your follow uh, please, please do. Um, you, you're more than welcome to follow us on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to YouTube as well. I would love to have you guys there. Um, and keep up to date with all the, the other stuff we're doing. Again, hope everyone stays average. And uh, <laughs> yeah. have a good night, everybody. Peace. Stay average.